Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Recorded live. I asked my baby for a nickel. She gave me a $20 bill. I asked her for a drink of whiskey. And she gave me a little steel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ain't it hard, ain't it hard When you have to live the blues I called my baby on the telephone She said, come on over, Stevie, I'm all alone I said, I can't get my car started, mama well, yeah. What can a poor boy do when he has to live the blues? And while my baby's making it with my best friend, I know I've been used, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it, 
It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC sees in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541 541- Two two five four six five nine. That's five four one two two five four six five nine. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click the satellite system. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific.
back. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It's April 21st, 2015. It's Tuesday, about 2.43 out here on the Pacific Time Coast. You can call in 855-566-3738. You can go to the chat room at theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. And uh, let's see. The first band was, of course, guest by the room, ACDC. The second was... Guest by the room again, total defeat for me, it was Chicken Foot. If you don't know who they are, look it up or tune in later tonight and I'll tell you more about it. Anyway, it's Tuesday, we've got Al from Colorado on and yes. we are in the middle of the la- 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 lightning round. Yes, Hitlery had to carry her own bags and she flew coach, did you uh, see that one? Uh, you know... Are we going to really believe this, Al? Big deal. What's next? She going to start pumping her own gas for the car she doesn't drive? Yeah, she might be doing that, too. You know, I mean, I still want to see Hitlery in jail because there's enough they were talking. I happened to actually be by an idiot box over the weekend. They're talking about why isn't Hitlery in jail for Benghazi? They were even, the fact that the talking heads are even saying something Benghazi? Like why isn't she in jail? I could name 20 things. Why isn't she in jail? Well, it's not just Benghazi. Oh, everything for crying out loud, Hitlery. You know, I, I mean, she's been a serial criminal for 40 years. Why isn't she in jail? You know, I'm Going sure. back to uh, Watergate, yeah. I mean, good golly, this, uh, you know, there's very few people, except maybe Bill, that have committed more crimes than her. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. uh, you know, she had, she helped Vince Foster with his suicide, too. <laughs> remember, she helped him with that one, too, don't you remember? Well, somebody had to help him. I mean, you know, you shoot yourself twice in the back of the head with a shotgun and then drag your own dead body to the park. That's something. Oh, here's a nice thing from uh, Rumor Mill. It's noncompliance with Barry Care, 1130 buck fine. <laughs> yeah. An estimated $6.3 million would be required to pay a penalty because they didn't buy qualifying health insurance in 2014, and neither did I, Frank, and neither did you. No, and guess what? They can't take it out of anything unless you've got a refund coming. <sighs> you know, these... <laughs> man. Oh, you and know, uh, I read something I, that, you know, where California said, oh, yeah, we had, like, 30,000... Obamacare signups, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, it yeah. wasn't actually 30,000, it was 4,000. Oh, well, they're off by only 26. <laughs> oh, that's, that, that's that new government NASA, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey, have you heard this that banks are now sending out letters? Okay, here's something here. Uh, this is uh, out of, uh, uh, where the heck is this? Oh, well, never mind. I've got it here in front of me, but uh, here's a letter from somebody. It says, my mother has a SBD safe deposit box, okay, Mm -hmm. at a Chase Chase branch with with one of my siblings as co-signers. Last week, they got a letter outlining a number of changes to the lease agreement, including this. Contents of the box. You agree not to store any cash. Or coins other than those found to have a collectible value. Another change is that signatures will no longer be accepted to access the box. The next time you go in, they have to bring two forms of ID, and they will be issued a four-digit PIN number that will be used to access the box then and in the future. 
Oh, so, Al, here's the thing. If you've got a uh, safe deposit box that you got on well, your I signature think. and you don't have two forms of ID, they're not going to let you in your box. Gee whiz, you think Sammy wants to grab it? I think Sammy wants to grab it. Well, hey, Sammy was like... grabbing people's boxes in 1933. Yeah, but he wants to grab them even more now because he's, quote, broke, Frank. Sammy well, hasn't got any money. Sammy was broke in 1933, too, and he's been yeah, broke and ever since. Yeah, he's been broke since 1933. Yeah, <laughs> right. absolutely. You know, and, I still and, like the one, yeah. Well, this is something people might not be aware of, but... In 1933, they did come, and when you came in, they didn't go in there, break into them. They just waited. And as people came to the safe deposit boxes, they confiscated any gold that you might have had in them. Oh, yes. So, you know. They did everything short of coming into your house and going through your house. Well, and they did come short of that because... Most people voluntarily gave it up. And, and if you're, look, if you really believe that your stuff is safe at the bank in a box because they call it a safe deposit box, you're really There's not nothing thinking. nothing safe about it. Yeah, you're not thinking, okay? You're not thinking. Oh, and clearly. if we do have a, quote, bank holiday, you won't be able to get into your safe box anyway because everything will be shut down, including the bank and the box and, and yeah. everything in it. And I, I take issue with the fact you said if. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. meant when. You should have right? said when we yeah, have the next. That's right. I still like the thing, Frank. Oh, you're going to take out $5,000. We haven't got 5000 We have to call the police because you're suspicious, Frank. Yeah, you're I know, because you have money. Frank. We, Frank, we've done our you very best. Hey, we've, doing... we've done our very best to get everybody broke, and you've got money. That makes you suspicious. Yeah, that's right, Frank. Uh, you know, you uh, we're going to call the cops on you, Frank, because we think we think you might be doing drugs in your selling drugs in your uh, basement, Frank. Huh? Yes, but of course we're not going to charge you with that. We're just going to steal all your money. That's all. We don't care about the drugs. No. No. <laughs> did you see our wonderful two our wonderful police in Baltimore? What they did to the black guy? Uh. No, I, I have This guy was up. dragged off. They broke his spine. He ended up in the hospital, and he died. Oh. Well, we took five cops to subdue the one, uh, you know, the one uh, small. And I think he was in a wheelchair at the same time, too. I heard something about it. I didn't see the whole thing, but the guy died. Well, you can never be too careful with those people in wheelchairs. Yeah. You yeah, know, I mean, yeah. you never know when they're faking it, Al, and they could just jump up and kill everybody. You know, yeah. So you gotta you gotta subdue them pretty harshly, man. Now, well, well, like, did you hear about this one? Here's here's a good here's a reason why never to put a cop in an, any elected official capacity. Yeah. It's uh, uh, let's see, a freshman Republican congressman. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was a uh, LAPD cop. Okay. That one. Oh, before he became a uh, Congress whore. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's Representative Steve Knight. He's a Republican from California. And uh, yeah. this one guy came up to him and said, you told me you didn't vote for amnesty, and you did. I looked it up on the Internet, the man said, and shook the congressman's hand. You lied to me. Then the congressman, the ex-LAPD officer, says to the guy, which they're calling a protester, but... That doesn't 
sound like a protester. You lied. No, he just made a statement. And, you know, you said you, you ran and you said you weren't going to, and then you lied. You did. As he's shaking his hand so that this congressman tells him, Mike, if you touch me again, I'll drop your ass. Hmm. Well, should have walked, just walked away from him is what he should have done, hopefully. Well, I think he should have done something else. But, you know, hey. Well, he I do, too. Well, like I say, any time a politician is breathing, that's a, that's a disaster. We don't need any breathing politicians anymore, as you well know. Yeah, that's true. And and this guy, though, now you, you see, and they go on with the article saying, oh, it seems like he might have some anger issues. Well, yeah, he's a, he's a cop. Okay, he was an LAPD cop. And he lied about the amnesty. Is that what you're saying? The guy well, yeah, told that's me. what the guy said. He said, hey, you, you know, you, you said you weren't going to vote for it, and then you did. You lied to me. Well, he probably should have phrased it different. He said, well, you told us you weren't going to do it, but why did you? He should have said, why did you do it is what he should have yeah, posted well. as a question, and then that might have been a different response. Well, and then the, then the congressman lied again and said, no, I didn't. I did not vote. Oh, oh. You know, it's a shame we can't shoot these uh, politicians. It's just a dirty shame, Frank. Well, I don't is. care who doesn't like what I just said. Well, I, I think it's a shame, too, because, you know, uh, I mean, really, honestly, these guys are just, you know, they're they're honestly out of control, and they're, they're, they're worse than a gang, man. Because they don't, you know, a gang, everybody knows, okay, they, they, these are criminals, right? And you're allowed to defend mm-hmm. yourself against them. But these mm-hmm. politicians... They come under the cloak of uh, justice and legality, and uh, everything yeah. we do is legal, and this and that. And the cops got the idea that, oh, well, oh. You know, because somebody told us, we're the uh, the guys that yeah. do the, yes. you know. we've got our John Wayne pistols on our hips, and we're protecting the country and all this good stuff. Yeah, that somehow but, that's legitimate. But you know yeah. what? If you you know, yeah, okay, in a perfect world, if you were doing the right thing, that might be legitimate. But oh, you're not. Guess what? In Oregon, something about the gold miners and the BLM, like a Bundy standoff. Did you see that one? Yeah, I, I did, actually. Uh, something about the BLM wants to pull a Bundy, and uh, I think the sheriff came in and told the BLM, get out of Dodge, or we're going to start uh, making a lot of noise with the projectiles, I think is what he told them. Well, I don't know. I, I've got to... Uh... Something about the gold miners. They want to stop them from doing the gold mining or something. And it's not Jackson County. It's one of the other counties. It's General Josephine. It's right next Joseph- to the adjacent county to this one. And it's up in Merlin. And, I mean, I know the area. And out in the you know out in the sticks there, they, they do mine gold up that way. And uh, they have... Yeah, the BLM time. is uh, pushing its uh, weight around or something where they probably have no jurisdiction in the first place. Well, yeah, and I don't know the complete of everything about it, honestly. I saw something vaguely about it. It says, oh, I'll have to talk about that with Frank when we get back. I almost forgot to talk about that. Yeah, I haven't uh, I haven't really looked that much into it because Me it's, you know, it's uh, you know, they're going to pull Evidently the sheriff is going to side with the miners and uh, tell the BLM to, uh, you know, arrivederci. Well, I, I got to say I hope they do. The uh, the uh, sheriff up that way has been a pretty good sheriff on on other issues also, basically siding mm-hmm. with the people against the feds. It's, it good. hasn't turned ugly or anything, but he's just Not basically yet. said, hey, listen, you know, in the past, I'm saying, of other things, mm-hmm. that, look, you know, you got to get out of here, and we'll take care of this, you know, sort of sort of attitude, which Josephine County's, uh, the people up that way, 
have that attitude far more than here in Jackson County. Although, you know, in Clarence uh, County, they're not as liberal. Is that what you're telling well, me? Well, you know, we've not- got we've got Ashland and, and Medford now. That used to be a working town. Now it's a now it's they've turned it into a like a uh, mini college uh, retirement community. So you know, uh, more socialism. Well, yeah, and and Josephine County's really got nothing. They got Grants Pass, which was a logging community, yeah. and uh, yeah. and Eugene much is much. a pretty bad uh, commie oh, town too. Is college it? town? You know, it, they got the university up that way. And any town in America that has a university in it is mm-hmm. going to be a bastion of liberalism. Yes, everywhere I've gone, Al, everywhere, oh, yes. and I've been in oh, it, yes. almost every state, and everywhere I've gone. I mean, even Austin, Texas. You think Texas is the bastion of uh, conservative rednecks, right? Not oh, Austin. Oh no, the libs got their the libs got their nose stuck under that tent too, don't they? The oh libs. man, yeah. Austin, Texas is as liberal as any city you want to go oh. to, and and you know, oh. it's, that's, it's also the capital of Texas. So you yeah. know, there's a little problem. It's kind of like here in Oregon. You know, I mean, we got Salem. Yeah. Well, we got Boulder. We've got Boulder oh, up gosh, there. You yeah. know, northwest of Denver. Well, and how conservative is Denver anymore? Not any. No, no. We had Pat Schroeder here for so many years, and that, uh, that uh, she, thank God she's been gone for God knows how long. But we got somebody else in there who's just as bad. Yeah. Uh, Diana to get your job. Yeah, that's who it is. Who? Diana to get. I think that's her name. She's the she's the rep for uh, the Denver area, I believe. Wow. In Congress. Great. Yeah. I think she's still in there. I don't even follow it anymore. Frank, you waste – let's put it this way, Frank. You go to the polls and it doesn't matter. You can vote on your iPad now. Did you tell that, Frank? Yes, you can vote on your iPad. Okay, here's the thing. Melissa just sent me this. Uh, the sheriff's name is Dave Daniels. And, uh, oh, let's see. Uh, I'm going to skip all that and just go to this part. Uh, he says, quote, the Josephine County Sheriff's Office wishes to express its intention to uphold the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the State of Oregon to ensure the rights of all persons within Josephine County. That's not bad. You know, that's a pretty good statement. I still say, Frank, people have to be made aware of the buck the Buck Act, oh, and yeah. it has to be removed. Once the Buck Act is removed, guess what happens? All of Sammy's stuff that isn't federal land, he's kicked out of every one of the states. He's doing stuff he has no business. Well, and you know what? The FBI coming I in agree. on I, I agree that would be a great thing, because there's more involved with the Buck Act than just the federal lands, because I believe the Buck Act is the mechanism they've used to basically overlay and turn the states of the Union into nothing but federal territories or districts. It's all washing machine D.C. now, Frank. It's overlaid yeah. over all the states. You get rid of the Buck Act, and they have to go away. Okay, the forts, dockyards, arsenals, and other yeah, right. buildings, that's the only place they're ever going to have well, and the only other The only other solution to that is you could get rid of the Buck Act if you could get Washington, D.C. to do anything, but... Uh, the other thing is, you know what? Each one of these states just needs to say, if they're willing to stop taking federal money, mm-hmm. just say, they're not. you know what? They're not. Get out. This is our land. You're saying nothing. Now, if you want to come and attack us, then you go right ahead and we'll have a fight. But short of that, 
beat it. Oh, yes, and the act of 1871 needs to be gone, too, and number 14 and number 16 and number 17 have to be gone, too. Yeah, absolutely. Get rid of all those three amendments and get rid of the act of 1871, and, boy, it's going to get interesting now. Yeah, but, you know, that's you got to get Washington to do something, and they're never going to do anything. I mean, you know, Al, I, I mean, I got to say, I think people need to, yeah, try to do that. Get get in groups, get involved, make calls, whatever. But while you're doing that, start gathering food and water and guns and ammo That's and right. medical equipment and, you know, medical uh, supplies and all that stuff, man. You know, I mean, there's a storm coming. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, Hitler, Hitler says uh, she's not part of the 1%. She wants to get rid of the 1%. Well, she and Billy are worth 100 yeah. and something plus million. That must make you in that 1%. Yeah, Hitler, she's so. not in the 1%. She's in the like half of the percent. Okay? The one tenth of a percent. Yeah. Yeah, because, oh man, I saw a thing. We got to go, but I saw a thing about, uh, you know, 1% equals like 70 million people. That's so, a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. it's actually more, more like, you know, one. Well, like you said, one-tenth of a percent. Those are the ones, the one-tenth percenters. Yeah, whatever. And there's Hitler. Will, Hitlery. Yeah, we will see you next week, Frank. All right, Al. I'm glad everything Bye-bye. worked out, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. All right, folks, I'll be back again tonight, 8 p.m. Pacific. Got good stuff coming up all day long, so don't go anywhere. And as always, thanks for listening.
and a member of the communities that we serve so well around this world. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll promise you this. We're going to stay the course, and this company is going to continue to grow. Actually, H&H started in 1962. It started on Main Street in Middlefield, a little country store that uh, at that time uh, was starting a family, and it was pretty difficult to know. It was a big decision. Brother-in-law and I decided, well, we were going to take that step, and we went into business. And uh, started a little one-room building that uh, had a full basement, but we did all the plumbing in the basement. But the upstairs retail area was very small, and we were there for a year and a half to two years. And then we moved on to a larger, larger store and a shopping center, and uh, spent several years there. And uh, we proceeded in 1992 built this facility here. This gentleman here, that happens to be my son. He's been the right-hand man for many, many years. It was much easier to retire in 96 when he was here to take over. One of the biggest parts of our store being out in our rural area is what we call our hardware section. You know, and the, the nuts and the bolts and the nails and what type of fasteners, that's always been good because a lot of the farmers were always mending machinery and things around the farm and some of the Kids that were, you know, kids, kids when I was growing up, you know, in here. Now they've got families. They come in here for the fix it up type things. Awesome. Since I was eight, I'm down on Friday night after after school, worked till nine. You have the car out there? I worked here since I was six. <laughs> Slept or helped customers when I was young too. At the end of the day, grandpa and dad would give us their pocket change. Spent a lot of late nights in here too, especially when we were building it. I generally arrive here about 7.15 in the morning and I uh, unlock the door, I come in and turn the lights on and, and I get the, the day money for each door in the registers and I open up the registers and usually at that time Tom is here and Tom goes ahead and kind of tidies up the front of the store and sets out the American flag and, and the benches for our customers to sit on. And a lot of times the Amish fellows on their way to work will stop here for things that they need for their day's projects and they'll come up and get plumbing or electrical supplies or a lot of times sporting goods. We have a, a busy sporting goods division. has been preparing for it, uh, trying to change stock and inventory, keeping in mind basically to stay with service. If you can't compete in one area, we're going to stay with something that is not offered or that you can compete with. Oh, I've probably been shopping here for 32 years or so. All my needs that I needed for hardware. The mass merchandisers, to a great extent, do not provide excellence in service. I'll use Walmart as an example. And you're really lucky if they have anyone in the plumbing section who knows anything about plumbing. We've been trying to get ready for them for the last probably 10 years. Adamant with all the guys, explain the, the purpose of our job, make sure we do everything right and thorough, explain what Walmart did and what we do and what we can do different. We've brought to us customer 
be so much against the Walmart movement after reading this book that he wanted to get some in and start passing them out or selling them to, to friends and whatever it cost them. So that's basically, I got a few extra ones. He's, he's taking stuff and giving it up and I'm doing the same. Well, I, I have never been in a Walmart store. I never intend to go in a Walmart store. I've never had the need and uh, I've never liked their principles. Uh, that, that's not nice to say at all, probably, but uh, I've seen a lot of small communities crucified and forced out, ma and pa operations that have been in business for years that are out on the street. They just had to close their doors just because of one entity. And it appears that that is their intent to come into the community and force everybody out. They did nothing but lay down the freaking red carpet for them. I know how hard it was for my dad, my grandfather, to build this building on this lot. They went through everything to try to get the commissioners and stuff to allow them to build here. I mean, we had to, you know, we got sign issues, got to be certain size, we had to have make sure we had enough green around the area. I'm all for free enterprise, but when you look at, at the big picture, they're the, the people who own the company are the richest people in the world. Um, so, in reality, I think they could, they could spread that out. Uh, I'm curious to see how much they'll actually get back to the community. To even use American with, with Walmart in the same sentence, just, just I, I don't agree with it at all. It's, it's like a Chinese company to me, only with American board members. It's not a mystery. They, they come right out on record and said that they don't buy them. And all it's done is give China a better distribution center, whereas before they would have had to find contacts who to sell to and, and develop their own markets. Now they've got a pipeline running in everybody's living room by going through Walmart. I think the government should have more control. You talk about monopolies. If Walmart's not a monopoly, I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm not at all in favor of any kind of communism or socialism. I believe that America should always and forever remain free. However, I think that there need to be regulations established wherein, you know, they busted up Standard Oil and they busted up Mop Hill. But Walmart seems to be going on a rampage through the American economy and nobody's even paying attention. I, I, the logic of it escapes me. And I spend a lot of time thinking about it. Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Republican, I'm a conservative, and, uh, but I'm, I'm following very closely what's happening with the unions. It used to be that the union wage was something that everybody would look up at and say, wow, you know, he's a union worker, he's making you know, $18 or $20 an hour. I realize that's what we're paying our people. We're, we're not unions. Yeah, I'm all for the unions doing whatever they can do. And, you know, whether it be Walmart or Kmart or any, any store that's not going to pay a fair wage. I'm a staunch American. I love America. It's the finest, freest country in the world. I'd still, at my age, I'd fight and die for this country. But it seems that there are things going on within this country, particularly from a, a business and economic standpoint, that aren't for the good of the people. Uh, I mean, the people in mass. Uh, you know, a small seg segment of the population is doing well by what's happening, but the greater majority of the people are being made subservient. I mean, Sam Walton, I don't think it would be comfortable with the way things are going right now. I don't, I don't think this is why he started the store. It wasn't to, to crush other competition. We, we have people in this town, families who can't feed their children, and families who have their, the entirety of their belongings in a car and in a trailer and are spending uh, m most of their life in their car or at the mall because they've been evicted from their homes because they can't find work. They can't find work. And I think there's a lot of people that 
don't realize there are those those people in town too. Right. I mean, you you say that's in Middlefield. Oh no, that's exactly. That's not the case. Uh, I was dreaming all of a sudden that the people in this town caught on to a great extent, and we were all out in the street protesting. But I think the likely the likelihood of that happening is, is like we'll probably see pigs fly before that. I put this business plan together that, with the help of our different hardware organizations and people, and I went to uh, several different banks to, to check on some funding. And uh, when I got an appraisal on my on the business and, and the buildings, you know, the appraiser actually came in and devalued the building. Here, I, I figured it'd be appreciating after like 10 years. And he came in with a, a lower value, and I questioned myself, how can this be? You know, with inflation, and, and the economy's not great, but still should be at least holding its value. And uh, he said, no, he said, uh, anytime a Walmart's coming into a town, they, they knock the values down, because sooner or later, there's going to be a bunch of empty buildings, and none of them are going to be able to sell. Any community on grand opening is going to see a change drop in sales. It happens regardless of whether it's Walmart or somebody else, you'll, you'll get a drop in sales. So <clears throat> there'll be a dramatic change of some type. How long it'll last? can't last forever because you just can't stand the overhead if you don't have the business. So something has to happen. And let's hope it doesn't come to that point. But you never know. Right now, uh, after we liquidate product, I'm in the process of trying to trying to sell the we own the building, so I'm trying to sell the building as well as get somebody in here that'll be able to lease to. Um, I've got a couple people on the line right now that uh, want to talk to me within the next couple of days. And hopefully, we'll work something out. We're going to sell the property. Uh, you know, I'll be able to pay all my bills and walk away without any debt. Uh, that's if it all works out right. I'm, I pray that it will. I remember that like it was yesterday. The hell with it. Walmart by the damn town. You know, we'll shut them down. And we used to drive through towns going six months, three months, six months, but then we'd be closing. We drive up all the way up in New York City on Route 80, pull off at Clarion or any of those towns up there, and you'll see a Walmart up in the hill. You'll see a person and a Burger King. And then you'll drive further into the town, and you'll see an empty town. It looks like a neutron bomb hit it. Well, I will die, ribbon high. I saw a blue beam, the endless skyway. I saw a blue beam, the endless skyway. I saw a blue beam, I keep saying, you can't buy small town quality of life at a Walmart, they don't sell it. But once they steal it from you, you can't get it back at any price. 
The money that I did get went right back into Walmart. I get my check, have it deposited, go shopping. I had when I first started Walmart, I had I had my kids on the um, Walmart insurance. It got to the point where it just was too much for me to handle. I just couldn't afford it. I'd have to pay my premiums at work, and then when I took them to the doctors, I still had to pay. I always had to pay a chunk of money. I'm proud of the fact that we have the benefits that we have and that we have the wages we have. People that's making $7 an hour that have to go to a doctor, they're not going to be, be able to leave it deductible. And I have an 18-month-old baby, and he didn't have any kind of insurance. When he was sick, I would have to try and fix it myself, like get a medication myself. If he had to go to the doctor, I would have to take it and pay it as I could. Sam Walton believed that it was inappropriate for an associate with illness in the family to have to worry about how were they going to survive the financial impact. I was under my mom's insurance plan at a local grocery store that she worked for, and any prescription of one, no matter what it was, was $5. And now in Walmart, for that one bottle of pills, I'm paying $70. But I can't afford to put my children on the Walmart shirt because it is too expensive. There's no way I can afford to have $75 taken out of each check just for medical. That's why, because I'm such low income, I am able to get the Medicaid for the kids through Colorado State. But they're a billion dollar corporation, so I don't see why they cannot offer a better medical package for their associates so that we can afford to uh, get our families on uh, uh, insurance. You start weighing Okay, he's sick, we eat. Which one do we do? Well, let's give him an aspirin. No matter what anybody says or poverty level, I watch so many people go without lunch in the lounges that I stopped eating in the lounges because I just had my managers eating there because I just couldn't stand it. They just wouldn't eat, and we weren't allowed to offer them any money. And... Uh, there were people I see that didn't eat nothing. They'd take an hour lunch and just sit there. We have full-time employees that worked at Walmart, and they had medical, but the medical was so high, so they had to go out and get medical, some type of government medical. While I was working at Walmart, I was on WIC. It's an excellent program. It saved my life, really, because you got all the formula and cereal and stuff you needed for the baby. And I also went to the Medicaid office. It can be a real hassle having to deal with the offices, but, you know, at least they're there. I'm thankful for the programs that are available, you know. I, it's not a fun situation. It's demeaning. I, I, I always heard people say, you know, oh, they're just, you know, there's so many people who just use the system, use it. I can't imagine that because there is no way I would want to spend any length of time having to do what you have to do to get assistance. You talk about using the system. Look at the way Walmart is using the system. They're promoting people to go to healthy kids and to get food stamps and Section 8 housing. and They're the ones that are using the system. Yeah, it's it's... It's pretty bad when you when you need to tell your employees that all these programs are, are, are available. available for you. 
because we're not paying you enough money. Retail giant Walmart is encouraging its workers to go on welfare. Instead of paying for its employees to have health benefits, she says Walmart is making the government take care of it. In Florida, Walmart has more employees and family members eligible for Medicaid than any other company. Critics accuse the retail giant of using Medicaid and state programs for the poor as its health care plan. This report from UC Berkeley researchers concludes Walmart costs state taxpayers $86 million a year and county taxpayers as much as another $25 million to pick up the tab for public health care, income tax credits, housing subsidies, and food stamps. Evelyn Dees used to work full-time for Walmart, but didn't have company health care benefits. She literally couldn't afford to pay for it, so she turned to government assistance. What the public doesn't understand is that those everyday low prices are based on taxpayer subsidies. Walmart is, is getting away with it because they can't. I talked to the regional personnel manager about who was going to take care of the Walmart associates and their health care needs and let the state do it. Well, the personnel manager told me personally that there's uh, assistance out there for people that should be able to go, go use it. Use your taxpayers' dollars. I had a list of all of the government agencies and all the different places that people could go if they needed money for their utility bills, if they needed to apply for food stamps, or if they needed to apply for WIC or for Medicaid. So your dignity is not there, your pride is not there. You go to work knowing that you're not making enough money to really make ends meet, but yet you got to go with a smile on your face and, and, and fake it. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Come up with some type of health care that a full-time person can afford and don't have to put on the scale health care or feed my family. Why is it that a corporation that in 2003 had an outstanding $240 billion in sales would not provide a livable wage and affordable health care for their employees? There's nowhere around that there's a company that makes this much money still turns around and makes their associates go to the state parade. And I think my company takes family very seriously, and they'll help you achieve anything you want. The possibilities are absolutely endless at Walmart. Think of the careers that get started in this company and the difference it makes in people's lives. But most importantly to me, jobs that come with opportunity for personal development. When I first started working at Walmart, I was still in high school. I didn't have any plans to go to college later on. You know, the people I was working with were just so nice and you know, I thought that was awesome. My job function is entirely express technician. Is performing an oil service and tire changes, battery service, um, stocking the inside shelves, writing up work orders and what's disputed the customer, running the cash register, you know, ringing people out, you know, just groceries they walk throughout the store, and they want it all done at the same time. All I'm worried about is the one 4% raise a year that you get from Walmart. You know, what 
three years, and I have not had a couple of dollars never raised. I don't have good health benefits. I can't afford to live on my own anymore. Um, it's just most of it is poor treatment for management at Walmart. Weird. Always been kind of quiet and shy, but now you know. I need to stand up for myself and you know my community. So I just you know searched the internet for a while and whatever I typed in brought up the same thing. You know I type in employee rights and it bring up the union or fair labor practice would bring up the union. These corporate people in the Walmart corporation, they don't even really like to say the word union. To them, it's like a curse word. They just say third party representation is where they put it. Walmart is very opposed to unions, uh, one of the most anti, if not the most aggressively anti-union company in the history of the United States, just relentless in their in their search for union activity and try to squelch it, kill it. He gave me a call and he said that he didn't want nothing to do with the, with the union. He said there was no, no, no. I had a worker that came to me with a piece of paper that someone had typed up on a computer in big, bold, black letters that said, we need a union. Uh, no signatures, that's all it said. That in itself is enough to require me as a store manager to go and uh, make a phone call. And the phone call comes to Bentonville. And that afternoon, I had to personally drive to the airport and pick up three guys that flew in in a corporate jet and pick them up and bring them back to my store. We have to do this for the reasons we started it. What they do is they basically walk in and tell the store manager, you're no longer in charge of the store. Every decision goes through us. They taught me how to profile people. Of course, I didn't know that was the term then, and it was identifying people that were the strongest uh, representatives of the petition to organize or at least get a vote. Neither we need the contact still. Possibilities there. You walk up to a couple of associates, and they're both talking. They walk away from each other. They got to go. They're conspiring to do something. Be noisy. Be happy. Be boisterous. We're here to support folks who are trying desperately to fight against the world's largest, richest, and probably meanest corporations. The associates in the automotive department were flooded uh, with brainwashing material against the union. I got some uh, union food bags. All unions we're getting is taking a cut out of my business. Yeah, take your money and spend it out in political campaigns to help people I don't even vote for. Because they know the union that you've messed up. Don't take my money. She said to the associates working here in the business. I can't get in the store, but it would be before somebody approaches me. Or there's kind of somebody following me around the store. I was never alone. I was followed wherever I went. Truly, the manager would follow me. During the process of intimidating them, they just make their lives miserable. They do illegal surveillance. They put cameras up in workstations, work areas, break rooms. You got a target on your back. Now everybody else knows. I got to stay away from this person here because you get fired for talking to this person. They're targeting a lot of it at Josh. You know, they're like, because they were talking about Josh being like held up on their shoulders and parade around. They're like, yeah, you just, you know, using it for uh, a way to get, you know, attention. One of their favorite tactics is to come out and say,
thing. We have to freeze all the raises in the store because we can't appear to be bribing anybody. It was a great political ploy by Walmart, in my mind, to say that's why they weren't getting raises, because some of those employees started putting pressure on the TLE people, Tire Lube Express people, because, hey, we can't get raises because of you. I was, like, so scared to go to the break room because they made us all go to break together because it was really good after that, you know, because you start walking through and, like, customers and, you know, other associates were, like, giving us your list. I was like, I'm not going to sit down break room. Don't mean something.
it is right for the 1.2 million Walmart associates, including more minorities and more seniors that work in any other company in America. Walmart offers the right job at the right time in their lives, and it gives them a step up that economic ladder. My name is Edith Arana. Um, I live here in Southern California. Um, I have two girls. I go to school to be a preschool teacher. I worked for Walmart for six years. They explained to me the different things they offered and the type of company Walmart was. I said, that's the company I want to work for. I always found it um, rewarding to me to help the customer find what they were looking for. I could work wonders. <laughs> do more with less. I know it's the true meaning of do more with less. Uh, they want the associates to do more, and they're going to pay them less. They would come in the office or on the floor. It didn't matter where you were working. Um, they would say, well, you know we have no overtime. There is to be no overtime whatsoever. We may have five baskets of clothes that need to be merchandising to be put back. You may have 30 minutes left on your eight-hour shift, but we need those baskets put away. And they usually do it with a smile. You would go along with it because you need it that job, and there was no if, ands, or buts about it. They would let you know one way or the other, if you can't do it, I'll just get somebody else to do it. You are not persons that cannot be replaced. And you know, we're hiring all the time. And in your mind, you go, look, I got these kids at home. I, I just have to make that sacrifice, and you will. They are asked to work off the clock with the implication that if they don't work off the clock, that is what is expected at this particular store, they are going to lose their job. And they do it as a matter of survival. And it comes from the top. Walmart is fighting legal battles with scores of former employees in 31 states. Hourly workers who say the company has cheated them out of hundreds of millions of dollars in overtime pay. The Walmart Corporation paid approximately $50 million to settle an off-the-clock class action suit in Colorado. In Texas, it is estimated that they cheated workers out of up to $150 million in unpaid wages. Our policy is that we pay everyone for every hour worked. <laughs> the CEO of Walmart, that's the best he can do? If you work here, we'll pay you. That's it? Work at Walmart. It's better than getting kicked in the nuts. My district manager actually explained to us how to cheat workers out of overtime. He said, this is how you can come in on your payroll budget for this week. He said, if you had, let's say, three workers that had overtime, maybe an hour or even 20 minutes, over 40 hours. He explained to us how to go in the system under a false user ID. Uh, to get into the computer and move that time to the next week. I've seen managers go in when someone worked uh, 41, 42 hours and change it to 40 hours. The people that are struggling to just live on the basics every day or do without need that extra minute or two paycheck. And those are the ones that are victimized the most. Not the only one that did it. I've seen every manager except for one general manager do it. Walmart refuses to follow the very American ethic that has served the country well for many years. People should be paid for the work they do. 
Walmart currently faces lawsuits in 31 different states for wage and hour abuses, potentially involving hundreds of thousands of workers. Store manager, you're responsible for reducing your expenses every single month. And the only way to do that is to keep the associates' numbers down. I was just getting about 19 hours a week, and that's just, you can't pay bills for that. I mean, it's just, it's not right at all. If you're not getting those full-time hours for that week, that's devastating. It may help them on their bottom line, but it doesn't help you at home. When it comes to jobs, we have good jobs. 74% uh, of our people are full-time. Most people in America don't know that. Although most people in America also don't know Walmart considers full-time employment 28 hours a week, which their starting wage works out to under $12,000 a year. INS agents arrested 250 undocumented workers in 61 Walmarts across America. Was working from 9 p.m. to 7 p.m. They were and stored in the cold leaf store until the store manager come morning. Walmart is paying $11 million to settle federal allegations that used illegal immigrants to clean its stores. I'm stunned that they would employ illegal immigrants. Very stunned. You're stunned they hire illegal immigrants for nearly no pay. Lady, you just bought a sweatshirt there for 29 cents. Walmart, the world's largest retailer, could be facing the largest lawsuit ever brought against a private employer. Lawyers suing Walmart will file their motion today, and if a judge agrees, the company could be facing a class action lawsuit for discrimination against 1.6 million current and former female employees. I had no idea about the lawsuit. And there were people in my store that had no idea about it also. Members of management that are in the upper echelons of Walmart management talk about how women at Walmart are useless. I had job receiving manager. I was operation manager. I was merchandise manager. So it's like I kind of did it all. I cleaned the bathroom every single day. Ken would come to me and he'd say to me, oh, it's, you know, it's your turn again. And I look at him and I said, oh, it was my turn yesterday, well, you know. And he'd laugh, and we'd joke about it, and we'd go back and forth, and I'd say, I know, I'm the only female that's working out here, so hence, I have to clean the bathroom. Nobody said, well, while a woman's been in this company, all of these years, you look at the evaluation, every general manager stated, she should be a GM within a year, within six months. Every evaluation, what's wrong with this picture? The company... Uh, hides the fact that these practices are very systemic. They're, they're systemic, meaning that they come out of the home office. Bottom line, if you were a female, you just weren't worth it. You just were not, you, you weren't worth the time, you weren't worth the money, you weren't worth the effort, nothing. A blind man. My grandmother was blind. She could see better than what you guys can see because you, taken the, you put the blinders on. You didn't want to see. Um, when I called, I called... Um, file a petition or to file a claim against them just to say that they discriminated against me because I was a woman. I'm Betty. I'm a Walmart associate. I love working at Walmart. I love that they pay me less than men because that means I can't afford to eat as much and I get to keep my figure. Jim got promoted to management over me, but that's okay because he's a cutie. You go get him, honey. 
when I applied for the assistant manager training program, I didn't get any response back at all. I went through everything that I had done for my store manager, and I'd done it like you would do a checklist. If you told me to do this, I did it. I told me to do this, I did it. He agreed on it with a nod, and I said, so now I want what you promised me. He just bluntly told me, there is no place for people like you in management. And I said, well, what do you mean people like me? And I said to him, I said that I'm a woman or that I'm black. He said, well, two out of two ain't bad. I was called milk boy, uh, nigger, you know, at this particular store. Uh, there was an incident where this, this one guy's bicycle, they, they hung it up in the ceiling and put a rope around it. You know, literally put this lynch this guy's bicycle. This is what they said. But I complained because it was, uh, me, it was offensive. I don't know if I was more devastated than humiliated, but in my mind, the way I love people, I just couldn't see another person, maybe they're not strong as I am, to be able to take that. This woman walked through the hallway and said, uh, any, meeny, miny, mo, catch a nigga by the toe, I reported this incident. Complain about discrimination. They just let more people out on you to see if they can really work you out of there or whatever. And that's basically what happened to me. I just got tired. I start going backwards in my mind of all the different stuff, and it start clicking and clicking. And the more I thought, the worse I felt because I felt to myself, "You're an idiot." How could you have not known? I was devastated. The time that I spent on those roads, I could have been at home with my husband. Um, but I wasn't because I was doing my end of what Walmart promised me. And the worst part about it is, is that nobody will ever know how big this is. What happens to people? And there's there's got to be more people like me out there, but they're too afraid to say anything. I love my job. <laughs> it's challenging, but it's really satisfying. We truly are living the American dream. It's out there, and uh, it's at Walmart. Great citizenship also means that we're going to support the communities that we're in through our charities and the organizations that exist there. You know, I, I'm I born counting Hoover. I have lived under about 30, I think 36% of the presidents of the United States. I think about that. Hoover and Roosevelt, Truman, Eisenhower, Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, Senior Bush, and Junior Bush. So there's uh, 13 presidents out of uh, 43 I've lived in. We came here in 1959 and started the IGA store, which is independent grocers. We had approximately 150 employees, and on these 150 employees, uh, uh, the full-time employees had, uh, and that was a great number of them, had full coverage on uh, 
insurance, health insurance. Uh, we also had a 401k pension plan that they really appreciate. You know, in small family-owned businesses, you, you do become attached to your employees, and, and they're very important to you. We always had tried to have a Christmas party or a Christmas dinner where all the employees came, and we'd close the store. Yeah, and every day after school, I'd get off the bus and run up to the store. We lived a couple of blocks up from it. The baler that we use here is a baler that was left over from uh, when we closed down the stores in the late 90s. I don't believe it's fair the way that, that Walmart can come in with the funding that they get to put their sewers, infrastructure, roads, parking signals, ingress, egress, et cetera, in, uh, compared to uh, what the independent retailer gets. Uh, no, I don't, I don't believe it's fair. Well, certainly it's not fair, and I think um, he at one time did go talk to them and Cameron and say, if we're going to run a business here, can you help us? Well, no, they couldn't do that. I don't think it, it, it's fair to help them to, to build roads for their business. And um, at the same time, the, the store opens, puts others out of business. The competition that we're up against is really what has caused the problem as much as the competition being helped by our government from one level to the other. They get all the breaks. Walmart's coming in and running us out. We know you helped them or you gave them tax abatements. Will you give us a tax abatement? And no, they couldn't do that. So the, you know, the county nor the city would do that. And of course, everybody knew it was unfair, but what can you do about it? Maybe one of his nothing to do. On sewer, water, any of that stuff, as far as I know, we never received one dime from the city, county, or or any place like that. If you tell them that you don't want them in your city limits, there's been nothing to stop them from buying five acres out here outside the city limits, popping their building down, hooking up to rural water, and having all the negative effects on the city and none of the positive. It was put the center in Cameron. It took about 40% of our business in Cameron, about a third of our business here in Hamilton and Brookville. It, it took over 50% of our business just overnight. It's hard to make those payments with a wholesaler having problems themselves. <laughs> so everything just kind of culminated in everybody having problems pay the employees when you use the cash from the inventory, and then you didn't have any inventory. In the process of the, all this, I had to uh, borrow money to put in the stores, and with the farm as collateral, it went down from there. So we had no recourse but to, to just close them up. And it was about 40 years of hard work that seemed to disappear all.
all at once. It uh, wasn't a very easy um, thing to adjust to. But uh, And now you can see Irvin still flattened a lot. Certainly wasn't what he planned. But we had a lot of good times. So, you know, he did a lot of things. He knows lots of people, and they respect him. And so I don't know what else you're going to get out of. I'm close that store, and that was a Sunday morning. And, and uh, I'll do it down by opening. Just. Yeah, I remember coming downstairs and sat down on the couch, and Mom told me. And, I started crying. It's like a family member. We were there every day. Probably my favorite place. I like being there. They wanted it for me. I love the death for it. But, you know, they wanted it for me and my family. And it's Walmart still gains ground and... Uh, have a monopoly, where will our families and where will our children be and what will they have to do to work and to to be competitive in uh, 10 years that the spiral is going, it, it could be very, very serious for the nation. It might happen that way now. I hope I, I hope it don't for our children's sake. It could be real serious, be a revolution. It'd be a civil war, but it'd be a revolution. I don't think anybody wants that. I'm Kim Arcetta, and I'm a fourth and fifth grade bilingual teacher in Denver, Colorado, in the Denver Public Schools at Newland Elementary School. And Walmart received subsidies of about $1.7 million, and with that $1.7 million, our Denver metropolitan area, uh, that, that could have kept the three schools that we just closed down this spring open. I'm Monica Jefferson. I'm a speech-language pathologist, and I work for Special School District of St. Louis County. Walmart received over $31 million in subsidy from the Missouri government. The Beagle City made a $1.8 million investment. But because of Walmart's lies and not stepping up to the plate with their commitment, we're short on policemen, we're short on firemen, we've eliminated the recreation division in the city. We're not able to provide the services to our residents that they need and deserve. And we're going to have lives hanging in the balance because we're not going to be able to provide these services. My name is Charles Hossie. I've been a fourth grade teacher in Washington State for many years. And when I think of the uh, million dollars that Walmart received for its distribution center and what we could have done there for students, uh, it's outrageous. The revenue away from our community that will have a direct impact on our ability to continue to provide some level of service. In Illinois, Walmart has received $100 million in subsidies, and that has affected our school systems. That money could go into our school systems to rehire all of those support teachers that we need back, the support personnel. We could have our school psychologists back, our social workers back, our counselors back. We could pick up, and these programs are being cut because Walmart has received subsidies. Now, what we're facing currently is that Walmart and Sam's Club, which are the same people, all kinds of purposes, have 
in fact, for business purposes, decided that they are going to leave our community. And not moving 20 miles away, they were moving two miles away. Not very far away. In fact, one is being built within, right on the property line of our city, which we still will not receive any benefits from. Just outside the city limits. So just as we were about to begin to receive 100% of the sales tax revenue from that deal, we found out that we'd been the challenge. You end up with a vacant building of the size that most businesses can't fill. So you have a huge building uh, that sits vacant for months and years. That's why at Walmart, we give back $5 every second to the communities we serve throughout the holidays and all year long to make the season and every day a little brighter. You know, responsible citizenship also means looking out for the environment. We can make a difference in this area of sustainability. One of the most exciting things about a river keeper organization is working with the public. And we have a lot of volunteers that volunteers to keep their part of the Catawba River. Because the Catawba River stands 11 times and has 11 lakes on it, and we have lakes, the coast. And so we call our volunteers coast keepers. And these coast keepers work to safeguard the Catawba River. Essentially, we did an investigation and we visited um, about seven Walmarts in the Catawba River Valley to see what their environmental practices were and judge whether their current environmental practices would have an impact on the drinking water of the town of Belmont. And what we found in every single case is that Walmart had a practice of storing herbicides, pesticides, and fertilizers in the parking lot. What concerned us most about this particular case was the proximity of this Walmart and the creek running right by the Walmart site and that creek empties right here at the intake site. For me, when I'm out on school and on the river and there's a drinking water intake right there, what I know is that there's a mom somewhere that's at a kitchen sink and she's putting water in a bottle to make formula for a baby. And that baby is drinking. The label on some of the herbicides and pesticides said this product known to cause reproductive harm by the state of California uh, and birth defects. These pallets with bags and bags of this material, many of them broken and busted and spilling on the pavement, every time it rained, all this material was washing right into stormwater and eventually making its way here to the Catawba River, the source of drinking water for almost 2 million people in the region. So we began calling Walmart to really express our concern about these chemicals making its way into the public drinking water. And they gave me a name and a phone number of somebody in Arkansas in the headquarters to call. And that person, when I talked to them, it wasn't the right person. They said they didn't think they had an environmental um, person that was in charge of handling environmental affairs, but they would try and find out. Yeah, Mrs. Donald, isn't they never called. So again, I called back. And this time I called their attorney. I called the person the contact name they gave me. I called their attorneys and said, look, I'm not getting any answer from anyone at corporate Walmart. And because I haven't, I'm going to start a weblog. And every contact I have with you, I'm going to put on my website and report what your response is. And if there's no response, that's what's going to be on our website. 
And so that's what I did. Two or three days later, they still didn't call back. We then sent them the law, and I elevated the rhetoric and said it appears to us as if you're violating the storage law. We are getting ready to contact our attorney. Still, no one called. Finally, the attorneys for Walmart who had testified in the hearing gave me the name of a person that they thought was their contact. I finally reached that person at Walmart headquarters in Arkansas, and um, he said he had just started the job. He had been in training for the last two weeks, and he didn't know what to tell me. So at this time, I started calling the news media and asking them to do a story. We got a great local news station here in Charlotte, North Carolina, that responded on camera showing these pallets and pallets and pallets of chemicals, herbicides, fertilizers stored in the parking lot right beside the stormwater drain. It ran in the morning, the noontime, the 6 o'clock, and the evening news on that day. It just so happened that the Walmart manager for the local story where most of the video was shot that had 81 pallets of this material out in the parking lot, saw the story. Called his regional manager first thing the next day and said, you won't believe what I saw on the news last night. And for all his stores in the region, he had them pull those chemicals from the parking lots and put them undercover. As I read the case history and all the environmental fines, and particularly the consent decrees from the Attorney General's office ordering Walmart to establish better environmental protection, what flabbergasted me most about the lack of corporate response is their apparent disregard for these consent decrees and that they haven't taken it very seriously. It's only the local guys. I can say in my history as Riverkeeper, I don't think I've ever encountered a corporation, be it a power company, an oil company, as unresponsive as Walmart. Wildlife conservation is very important to me, but it's really exciting when a company like Walmart makes it a priority too. We have a great relationship with the Chinese government. They have treated us uh, very fairly in, in what they have done. They actually, much like in the U.S., they hold us to a higher standard, higher standard of sanitation, higher standard of employment. My name is Wen Dekui. I'm 21 years old. I'm from the Shanghai province. My family plants corn, patties, and potatoes. I wanted to earn some money so that their life could be easier. At least, I didn't want their life to be too hard. They would work from dawn till night. They would begin to work on the farm at daybreak and wouldn't get back until night. I thought about working in the factory when I was in middle school. At the time, I thought that it would be interesting and exciting to work in the factory. I left my hometown on April 29th this year, and then began to look for a job in Shenzhen. At that time, I had a friend working in that factory who also came from my hometown. So I went to see my friend each day at the factory gate, which is just in front of one newsroom. He heard my dialect when I was talking with my friend, 
Then he spoke with me using the same dialect. He asked me where I was from. I didn't tell him the truth. I said I was from Shongqing area. He served for the army in Shongqing for a couple of years, so he could speak the Shongqing dialect. That's the way we got to know each other. Girlfriend and I work in the same Walmart factory. She works in the old workshop, and I work in the new one. We finish work at seven in the morning. She begins to work at seven thirty each morning and works overtime until ten p.m. Don't have much time to spend together, but whenever there is an opportunity, I'll cook some delicious food for her. We like singing karaoke, shopping around and buying some little things. In that way, we feel more relaxed. Most of the times we go to karaoke, sing songs, and we sing music, and we get in a good mood. tend to rent a room outside and cook by ourselves because the meals offered by the factory are really disgusting. However, the dilemma is whether you live in the dorm that the factory allocated or not, they always deduct the rent from our wages. You have no choice but to live inside. If you're going to move out of the dorm, the factory will tell you, you can move out and we will not charge you electricity or water, but rent will still be charged. See, if we live inside the dorm, we pay not only the rent, but also the utilities, which is charged by how much you use. There are very few fans installed in my current workshop. It's extremely hot inside. If they plan to install a new fan, then the others will tell us that we can only have one fan or the fans that are there. In my working position, there's no wind at all. Can you imagine? I'm sitting there and dripping with sweat all day long. My body never gets dry. Walmart informed the factory that it was going to send people here for inspection, and they will tell us how to live for the inspection. For example, workers must respond as though they work six days when asked how many days they work even though they actually worked for seven days. Then we workers don't care that they have to because we're really afraid of being punished for that. Ronald informs us in advance and has a meeting to teach us how to lie. If you lie well, you'll be rewarded. If not, you'll be punished or fired. The worker is given a fake pay slip and they never let you have the chance to speak out the truth, but threaten you to deliver false information. We really work day and night in order to get the wage of less than $3 a day. My mom wants me back home because she feels it's too toilsome, but I don't think so. Everybody else here has the same situation as me. If they can do this, I can do it also. 
I always think about my mom when I'm very tired. That would be wonderful if she could be here with me. She takes care of me very well when I'm sick. She'll let me have a good rest and cooks anything that I'd like to eat. She's really very nice to me. I would respectfully like to ask the boss of Walmart to give the Chinese workers some consideration chance for a little time off. Customers of Walmart, when you wear expensive clothes, when your children play with high-quality toys, think about China and the Far East. Those profits you made and the wonderful life you have are the sweat and tears and overtime working of Chinese people. If one day I encounter a lady who just bought a toy from Walmart, I'll say, respectable customer, respectable Walmart customer, do you know why you can buy such a cheap toy from Walmart? That's because we workers work all day, every day and night. added 125,000 new jobs around this world this past year. Good job. <laughs> jobs of benefits, jobs that will have profit sharing and retirement savings accounts for our associates. But most importantly to me, jobs that come with opportunity for personal development. 189,000 young women in Bangladesh who are selling garments for Walmart. These workers are getting up at 5.30 in the morning. They brush their teeth with their finger using ashes from the fire because they can't afford the toothbrush. Off to work from 8 in the morning until 10 o'clock at night, 14 hours a day, 7 days a week on these wages of 13 to 17 cents an hour. These are women who are hit by their supervisors, trapped in utter misery. As the largest company in the world, Walmart sets the standards that other companies are going to follow. So Walmart right now is sucking down standards all across the world. These are workers who have no rights. The outlook for this company today is very positive. In every country that we operate in, the Walmart model works. Because once your associates know that you will stand up for what is right, then when they see a wrong occur, they're more likely to contact you. And we have a very aggressive program underway to make sure, and have had now for the last couple of years. I was a global services manager uh, for Mexico, Central, and South America. My job function entitled three things. Uh, oversight of all factory certifications, which means you go in there and you make sure that they're humane working conditions. The big deal with factory certifications is to make sure that the workers are in a clean, safe, humane environment. When I was in the factory, and you know, you talk to the people, and the people were so nice, and they were so good, and they were just working for so little money, and without any, you know, condition of fairness whatsoever uh, with their compensation and their working conditions. Back to my hotel room and just wept the first time. And, you know, after dinner, I had picked up the phone and I was calling my wife. I was just telling her what I'd seen. And I started crying about that. You know, telling her.
and be like, you know, we're doing the right thing. But, you know, I just I couldn't imagine it was this way. I thought that a company like Walmart, once we started reporting the truth of what was happening in the factory, would take quick action to try and make the working conditions better. I believed in the mission and the culture which I thought existed at Walmart. I led more Walmart cheers than just about anybody that I know. Didn't even mind being the squiggly. I mean, if you would have cut me, I would have bled Walmart blue blood. I didn't know that we weren't going to make it the goal to correct the violations. And I didn't think that any retaliation would be brought against me for doing my job. Uh, now I realize I was pretty naive, but it just didn't occur to me that Walmart would do anything except for the right thing once they were faced with the truth. I kept going into other factories and seeing the same thing over and over again. And it became apparent to me that this was not an isolated issue. All you have to do is follow the money, and the ones who are in power right now have tremendous pressure on them to perform like never before. The system was designed to keep the goods flowing to the United States. When push came to shove, they did not stand up and do the right thing. What really happened was they were getting fired for telling the truth about the factory certification. And that was shocking. It was embarrassing. It ripped my heart out. To have all of that ripped from you and then to get sold out and lied to, Walmart let me down when I needed somebody to look out for me. I was trying to look out for Walmart for years. We want to make sure that our suppliers comply with local country codes, with uh, human rights standards, that people are not underage, that they're paid well. No, it's time to show our pride let America shine. Made in the USA. It means Made in the USA means a job for somebody. But we've made it our policy to find more U.S. suppliers who can compete. Because American goods mean American jobs. At Walmart, we pledge to support American sources whenever we can. So you can too. If we keep our prices low and raise our average wage substantially, we would in fact decrease our profitability disproportionately. And we would sacrifice healthy jobs of what it is that our shareholders expect from us. It is written in the New Testament, the love of money is the root of all evil. This does not say that money itself is evil. The fact that I shared with him last night, so we are CFO, while we're in New York, saved $200. The fact that my dinner was $10 last night, saved money. You shall not steal. Doesn't this teach us that keeping everything for ourselves is a form of stealing? Or are we commanded to help those less fortunate to find enough to eat? 
Today I want you to know, however, that five members of that family uh, together are worth $102 billion. The widow and four children have in the last 20 years emerged on the list of the top 10 wealthiest people in the United States. They could easily take 10 billion of that and see to it that every employee of Walmart in the United States has health care, adequate pension, and adequate wages. Well, Walmart, after the 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Center and Pentagon, they, they uh, apparently decided that they needed to have a bunker. There's a facility for the Walton family in case of an apocalyptic attack, uh, a residence that they can live in and reside in in case uh, they had to do that. There's a helipad behind the facility back there where they can come in by helicopter, and there's satellite uplink uh, dishes back behind the facility. And most of it is underground, as you can see. You can't really see much from the gate, which is all fortified. Faith means nothing at all. does not involve us loving one another as neighbors, Passion for the poor. When you hear these bells at Walmart, do you remember the people they're ringing for? They remind us of our friends and neighbors who could use a little help. That's why at Walmart, we give back. throughout the holidays and all year long. Of course, the most important beneficiary of this store is our customer. The customer who lived in that neighborhood. I was actually selling cars for about six months, but, but prior to that, I actually had my own business. I was doing uh, Wood refinishing on boats, and I actually did quite well at that. So. <laughs> <laughs> if I was going to go through all that I went through, I want something to come out of it, something good. There was a truck to one side that had a camp show, and there was a van to one side. And I, you know, I've always said, you know, you don't want to be in a spot where nobody can see you. But I was at four car stations on the front door, and I thought they had security outside. I should be fine. And uh, I got out. There was two of them. I got outside, but he caught me, and that's when I realized he had a gun, because he had a gun in my arm holding me. That's when he told me, get back in the car, I'm going to blow your head off. The year before, when I worked at the phone company, we had a safety meeting, and it was around Christmas time. And they had the sheriff's department out there, and they were talking about if they're in a parking lot, and this happens, let the dude, don't go with them. 
go with them, you'd likely knock them away. Statistically, that's what happens. They'll kill you. That's what first went through my mind. I'm not going to survive this. Um, so that's why, you know, the decision to jump out, you know, I mean, I want to, either chance or I want to choose, you know. I didn't, because I thought they were going to raise me too. And he said he didn't want the car. I thought they were going to raise me. So when they, fought, they got me back in the car after looking at the gun, I just kind of resigned to, you know, This is the parking lot where Laura Tanaka faced her attackers. Inside the store, Walmart had more than 200 security cameras and four security guards on patrol. Outside, there was nothing. The police did recommend on-site security and that there was none. That they had assured the people in the neighborhood that they would provide um, security and make sure it was safe for the neighborhood, and that wasn't done. It was evidence that Walmart knew they had substantial problems in their parking lot. Walmart was aware that the majority of the crimes throughout the state occurred in their parking lot, despite the fact that 80% of the crime occurred in their parking lot. They had done almost nothing to protect the customers in the lot. Rape, murder, kidnapping, all of these shocking allegations, and they come from Walmart shoppers. Report of a Walmart parking lot attack tonight. North Texas police are on the hunt for a would-be kidnapper. Violent attack on the parking lot of an Orange County Walmart. At least one man tried to carjack, rob, and shoot a woman. Who shot and killed 33-year-old Mark Karenik in the store's parking lot. A bold and deadly shooting. It happened this morning at the Walmart. Taylor's woman is recovering tonight after fighting a thief in a Walmart parking lot. A man is arrested after a tire iron attack. It happened in a parking lot of this Walmart. The two teenage workers shot while gathering cars in the parking lot yesterday at this Glendale Walmart. It happened at 1.48 this morning in the Walmart parking lot in Riverdale. She turned to run from the subject and was shot in the back. Walmart has conducted research on crime in its parking lot, and critics accuse the company of a nationwide pattern of covering up that research, of failing to turn it over in lawsuits. Here's what Walmart did not want to show. As early as 1994, as you can see in this internal document, a Walmart study showed that 80% of crime at Walmart locations occurred in the parking lot. And when the company added roving patrols at several sites, the crime rate dropped to as low as zero. A district judge in Beaumont tonight is fining Walmart stores $18 million. Judge James Mahaffey is sanctioning Walmart for what the court believes is a pattern of deception. It involves the case of a southeast Texas woman who was sexually assaulted and raped in the parking lot of Walmart. The court found that Walmart did not disclose that it had conducted a safety study, a study that found if Walmart would put employees in golf carts patrolling its parking lot, crime there would drop to zero. Judge Sherilyn Wood heard a case against Walmart in Houston, Texas in 1999 involving an assault in a Walmart parking lot. She says that in 17 years on the bench and over 25,000 cases, she's rarely seen such flagrant abuse of the system. It was very disturbing to see such uh, an, an intentional course of conduct. It was corrupt. She's charging Walmart with cheating in court, and she's not the only one. This is one judge. 
Is there something in the drinking water in Arkansas that says perjury is all right? Another judge. Rarely has this court seen such a pattern of deliberate obfuscation, delay, misrepresentation, and downright lying. Truth. Unfortunately for the customer, they really don't care what goes on after you spend your money in there and come out into the parking lot to go home. Police found Holden shot to death along the side of a road in Stanton, Texas, 400 miles from where she was abducted. Megan was uh, very special. We grew up together. We lived together. She's really, really going to be missed a whole lot because she has a lot of people that love her. She's just a very sweet person. She wanted a whole lot out of life. She just wanted to live and... Yeah, be happy. That's all she wanted. Just recently, before she died, she, uh, we were in her room listening to CD. And we were singing together. And we could just be open with each other. We didn't care. Police say Megan Holden was chosen at random on the way to her pickup truck in the Walmart parking lot just before midnight. After that crime was caught on surveillance video, police say Williams, a Marine veteran with a history of drug offenses, sped off in Holden's truck heading west, where he apparently murdered the 19-year-old junior college student and dumped her body near some railroad tracks in the west Texas town of Stanton. I just think that, that there's a lot of things Walmart could have done. There should be somebody watching Somebody should have been watching the cameras. Walmart has those cameras out there in their parking lot, and I thought that they were watching. A security camera without someone watching it is of no use at all. The abduction and murder that happened in Texas happened at a store where the loss prevention team was sent in to set up a security system outside that would track the union activity in that store. And the only reason that they had the pictures that they did was because they had the union package on the outside of the store. Walmart focuses on protecting their property and not their patrons. Multi-million dollar company, can you pay somebody $12 an hour to watch the camera? If people are putting profit before safety, they're putting profit before uh, human life, I don't think there's anything you can say. A man is suing the Walmart in Newcastle saying his mother died after a botched robbery attempt in a store's parking lot. The random shooting happened here. That three people are dead and three others injured. The shooting happened right in the middle of a busy shopping day. At least one man tried to carjack, rob, and shoot a woman. Report of a Walmart parking lot attack. Tonight, North Texas police are on the hunt for a would be kidnapper. Bold and deadly shooting. Random shooting. The Walmart stores has a responsibility to society to make sure that what we do fits in and represents what it is society expects from a big company. We need to figure out how do we, in fact, work together to cause them to want to have a Walmart. On December 6th, there was an article on the front page of our local paper, and it said that Walmart was going to build a super center 
on the corner of Queen Creek and Alma School, which is just a very short distance from my house. And this particular location was within our planned community, and it was within walking distance of an elementary school and a junior high school. And I felt that it was an inappropriate location for something of that magnitude. So I decided to form a, a campaign and say, no, Walmart in our neighborhood. Living as Christ has taught us, we begin to transform the world. This transformation is visible in the reading that we have from Acts. They're really trying to show why the work that we're doing is the work of the gospel. The lesson we learned in Inglewood is that we have the ability through our democracy to take power and take control and actually hold the companies accountable. As a nation in this world, the most powerful, the most affluent, we have the power to make sure that all have what they need. That this is not some pie-in-the-sky vision, but instead that this is our call as Christians to make this happen. One of my neighbors and I went and handmade some little posters, and we decided that we were going to have a meeting in the local park, which was about a block from here. We had no idea how many people would show up. We were absolutely amazed, and all of them wanted to do something. In the beginning, it was only a few of us. Not a lot of people came to the meeting, only some supermarket workers and a couple of churches, remember? And then little by little, more people until they started feeling the pressure. They wanted to build the Walmart on this whole parcel. It was going to be 215,000 square feet. And it was going to be... Walmart was going to take this whole space. It's like 17 football field space. And they were going to build one big box that was Walmart, and then little squares in between, and then another big box that was Samsung. We volunteered to do the various chores that we had. And then we solicited what I call a core committee, and that was a group of people who would be responsible for the strategy, the press releases, everything that needed to be done to organize our campaign. So then the coalition started getting bigger and bigger, and before you knew it, everybody felt like if they were a part of a coalition for a better Inglewood, they weren't standing up to defend the community. And I think the other lesson learned in Inglewood is that there's no kind of magic potion to suddenly put this, put this together and suddenly you're going to win. It's a hard process. There are a lot of different puppets in place, uh, but when you put those things in place, it includes the ability to organize regular people, small business owners, workers. We got our message focused. We hammered away on the phone, hammered away on doors. People saw us coming and going when they went to church. Every time they went to a store in Inglewood, there was a, a flyer about our, our effort, you know, rally. Legal strategy, enough resources to have the research, to be able to make this case, to be able to have the materials. It includes the ability to get at your message through the press, um, through media events grew to 187 volunteers, and we had block captains, and we had area chairmen. We proceeded to gather signatures on our petition, and we started out with 1,500 signatures, and by the time we got through, we had 4,000 signatures, and they were all from 
people within our, what I call our area code. Inglewood is the first test for Walmart's ambitious plans in California, and activists say the stakes here are huge. It's like Godzilla eats Tokyo. This is much bigger than David and Goliath. All of the information that was coming from Walmart kept saying it's a done deal. There's nothing you can do about it. We have our zoning. Um, don't waste your time. But <laughs> we knew better. Then we had numerous public meetings to let the public know what was happening, what the status was. It is not like they came into the small towns in the south or towns that have no business and they brought in business. No, 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 this is something completely different. They represent from Bentonville, Arkansas, plantation capitalism. The future of this community depends on our ability to stop the monster in its tracks. Walmart sponsored the ballot initiative after Inglewood City Council opposed building a Walmart supercenter on the site. Today, Walmart opponents charged the initiative, Measure 4A, hijacked the city's planning process. It is 71 pages of legal fine print that seeks to cut the community out of its own development process. What they did was essentially tell the city of Inglewood, get out of here. We are the biggest corporation in the world. We can go in and essentially buy an election. We held public meetings. We did our letters. We held private meetings with city council members. We were out on the street and doing the work to ensure the people understood that to those who much has been given, much will be expected. I could have walked and found and believe that they're good Christian families. God has given as many millions at the expense of poor workers. A lot of people sacrificed an awful lot to have all the freedoms that we have. And that flag to me represents all of our freedoms. Our freedom to fight Walmart, our freedom to live where we want to, work where we want to, have a say in our government. They can say and believe whatever they want about, you know, trickle-down theories of capital and whatever else, whatever other nonsense they want to invent to hold on to their capital. But um, then as Christians, we don't have that option. That's not our option. So we're not about capital. So we're about people. We came before the city council for the final vote, and the council voted 6 nothing to deny Walmart and Star, the developer, the right to build the store on that property. Residents of Inglewood, California, are voting today on whether to approve the construction of a new shopping development dominated by Walmart. That night, we gathered at a local restaurant, hoping for a miracle, to brace to go back to court if the measure passed. And now, the votes are coming in on a proposed Walmart Superstore in Inglewood. This one is people who on a giant ass one. City Council in the Pennsylvania and Walmart there. Oh, 
walnut Texas bags from Cobb County, Georgia. Fluoride science is corporate science. Fluoride science is DDT science. It's asbestos science. It's tobacco science. It's a racket. In July of 2004, Christopher Bryson sat down and discussed the findings of his new book, The Fluoride Deception, with Paul Connett of the Fluoride Action Network. The Fluoride Deception was published by Seven Stories Press in May of 2004. The book is based on nearly 10 years of research by Bryson, an award-winning journalist and former producer at the BBC. In this interview, we asked Bryson to introduce us to some of the important individuals and institutions which have played a role in shaping public policy on the toxicity of fluoride and the purported safety of the controversial water fluoridation program. In 1993, I was working at Rockefeller Center in New York as a radio producer for the BBC. And the, I got a call from uh, London. There was a local uh, water fluoridation battle in the north of England, in Leeds. And the producer, there was a daytime radio show, You and Yours was the name of the program. And the producer said, Chris, what do you know about fluoride? What do the Yanks think about fluoride? Is there an American angle? And it was a very you know, uh, familiar request to me. Is there an American angle to the story? And I said, look, uh, I don't know fluoride from a hole in the wall. I have no idea uh, 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 about fluoride. But let me make a few phone calls and see if I can't help you out. And I, uh, my first call was to Ralph Nader in Washington. Uh, and I'm not sure why I called Ralph Nader, but it, look, it was a consumer issue. And uh, Mr. Consumer Ralph Nader, I thought, let's give, uh, give him a call. And I, I got through, and he said, look, I don't know a great deal about water fluoridation, but I've never had terribly good feelings about it. Uh, 
here are the names of a couple of scientists uh, you ought to speak with. Uh, and he gave me the names of Dr. William Hersey, uh, who then and now uh, is a chemist at the Environmental Protection Agency, and uh, Dr. Robert uh, J. Carton. Uh, Bob Carton had been with EPA, but at that time was then over at the U.S. Army. And I went down to Washington and met with uh, Dr. Hersey and Dr. Carton, and they explained to me that the water, that the, the safety standards for water fluoridation in this country were based, and are based, on fraudulent science. Fluoride defenders will say there's two stories. There's the industrial story, and there's the dental story, and ne'er the twain shall meet. It's not true. The stories are braided uh, very tightly and very profoundly, and they're braided uh, from the beginning. The very first suggestion that fluoride be added to public water supplies uh, was made by a researcher, Gerald Cox, at the Mellon Institute in Pittsburgh. Uh, Cox became interested in fluoride because of the suggestion of Francis Frary. That's the letter I uncovered. Francis Frary is the uh, director uh, of the aluminum uh, laboratory for the Aluminum Company of America. He is co very concerned about fluoride pollution around aluminum plants. He's uh, very concerned about what the fluoride is doing to the, uh, the workers inside these aluminum plants. But his suggestion to Gerald Cox is to look at fluoride's dental effects, and it's upon the basis of that suggestion that uh, Gerald Cox makes his proposal to add fluoride to public water supplies. Right at the very source of the stream, you find the aluminum industry. Cox's suggestion that we add fluoride to public water supplies needs to be understood for who was saying it and where he was saying it and what the track record of the Mellon Institute was. The Mellon Institute was a, a leading defender of asbestos for the asbestos industry. You know, today, industry are facing a tidal wave, a crippling tidal wave uh, of lawsuits from people who have been, had their health uh, damaged, been killed by uh, asbestos. Well, for generations, the Mellon Institute uh, produced research that said that mesothelioma was caused by something other than asbestos. That's how you have to understand uh, the fluoride issue. Industry was concerned about fluoride pollution and about lawsuits of a similar magnitude for fluoride pollution. So it's no coincidence that the Mellon Institute makes the first suggestion that fluoride be added to public water supplies. Quite astonishing, Paul, uh, the degree to which environmentalists have not been educated about fluoride. You know, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm a reporter, I'm not a scientist or a doctor. You know, I'm quoting documents, I'm citing lawsuits when uh, I refer to fluoride as a major uh, industrial air pollutant. In fact, the leading air pollutant uh, in the aftermath of the Cold War. Those are not my words, that's not my opinion. That's a quantitative assessment by industry experts of the scale of the lawsuits that they were facing.
the most notorious air pollution disaster in U.S. history was the uh, Halloween uh, air pollution incident in Denora, Pennsylvania, a, a mill town south of Pittsburgh, where a couple of dozen people and several thousand were injured uh, because of effluents coming from a U.S. steel plant, which were trapped by a temperature inversion. Uh, in the aftermath of both deaths, uh, a, a researcher, Philip Sadler, a chemist, Philip Sadler investigated. He did blood analysis and he measured high levels of fluoride in the blood of some of the uh, injured and the deceased. He published that data along with data which found high levels of fluoride in vegetation and a lot of uh, other uh, circumstantial evidence indicating fluoride poisoning. Sadler published his uh, research in chemical and engineering news, but the public health service came in and said that uh, fluoride wasn't responsible. It was a, a mixture of air pollutants and bad weather that had caused the disaster. Well, I uncovered a memo, Paul, uh, a memo from the Aluminum Company of America in which they had secretly gotten blood from one of the deceased. And their measurements were almost exactly the same measurements as Philip Sadler found. Laundering fluoride's role in the Denora pollution incident is really emblematic for what has happened for the last half century and an accounting for why environmentalists don't know their own history. Denora jump-started the environmental movement, but environmentalists don't know that Denora was almost certainly caused by fluoride. Lucas uh, looks very hard at uh, the role of a key scientist, Dr. Harold Hodge, uh, in the uh, fluoride debate. Dr. Harold Hodge, for most of the Cold War, was the leading uh, scientific defender of the safety of low doses of fluoride and the beneficial effects of water fluoridation. Dr. Harold Hodge, a distinguished toxicologist on the Rochester team, has carefully investigated the safety of fluoridation.
what was the connection? Howard Hodge was the chief toxicologist of the Manhattan Project, the group of scientists and engineers who developed the atomic bomb in World War II and the early years of the Cold War. Hodge was responsible for investigating the toxicity of many of the chemicals used in the production of the atomic bomb. And one of the chemicals of major concern was fluoride. The Manhattan Project needed enormous quantities of fluoride to make nuclear weapons, to make the, the bomb that uh, was dropped on Hiroshima. So the Manhattan Project were concerned about fluoride toxicity. The, the documents that I uncovered with Joel Griffiths in the files of the Manhattan Project and the Atomic Energy Commission are very clear and very explicit. The toxicology department at the University of Rochester, which was under the direction of Harold Hodge, was asked to come up with medical information that could help the government in lawsuits in which the United States Army and the U.S. government were being charged with fluoride pollution. As has now been revealed by declassified government documents, the publication of scientific information collected by Atomic Energy Commission scientists, such as Harold Hodge, that could increase the chance of litigation against the bomb program by workers or downwind communities was forbidden. If water fluoridation was found to be harmful, then the U.S. bomb program, as well as many other fluoride polluting industries, would have been open to massive litigation. So there's not a hope uh, that Harold Hodge would ever say that water fluoridation dangerous or that fluoride in small doses was toxic because if Harold Hodge were to say that it would have pulled the rug out from under the US Army and from under the uh, the project to build nuclear weapons People who know the history of, of uh, medicine and science in this country, you know, the Kettering Laboratory was at one time one of the largest private laboratories uh, dealing with issues of toxicity. Uh, it was a very well-funded laboratory, and its director, Robert Kehoe, was a very senior figure in, in the public health establishment. Today, we know Kehoe's name best for his career-long defense of the safety of adding lead to gasoline. Kehoe spent a professional lifetime from his pulpit at the Kettering Laboratory assuring the nation that uh, lead added to gasoline was entirely safe. Uh, of course, that's been thoroughly discredited. The toll of health injury, of neurological injury, injury to children alone uh, from adding lead to gasoline is, is almost incalculable. And, uh, you know, for that, we really can thank uh, Dr. Robert Kehoe 
he, he soldiered uh, on Lad's behalf for his professional lifetime, and he did so being paid by uh, the Ethel Corporation, who were the makers of tetraethyl lead. The same job that Robert Kehoe did laundering Lad's image on industry's behalf, he did for fluoride. Kehoe, along with Harold Hodge, was uh, a leading defender of fluoride safety in the workplace, and he also was a leading promoter of water fluoridation. Robert Kehoe and the Kettering Institute, on behalf of industry and the National Institute of Dental Research, compiled an extensive bibliography of abstracts on fluoride's toxicity and the role of fluoride in public health. This work was funded by Alcoa, the Aluminum Company of Canada, the American Petroleum Institute, DuPont, Kaiser Aluminum, Reynolds Metals, United Steel, and many other corporate sponsors, as well as the National Institute of Dental Research. If you go into the files of Dr. Robert Kehoe at the Kettering Laboratory, you'll come across the existence of a, of a uh, hitherto unknown entity known as the Fluorine Lawyers Committee. And, uh, and Kehoe worked uh, for the Fluorine Lawyers Committee at the University of Cincinnati, doing their bidding, uh, providing ammunition to the Fluorine Lawyers Committee so that they could defend their corporate clients Alcoa, DuPont, Monsanto, uh, the U.S. Steel uh, against fluoride lawsuits. In Robert Kehoe's files, there is uh, a, a medical study which was a state-of-the-art $100,000 study in which beagle uh, dogs were given fluoride to breathe uh, in conditions which approximated the working conditions for men and women in the aluminum industry or in any fluoride industry. What happened to that beagle study? So the beagle study, Paul, found that fluoride was profoundly toxic to the uh, laboratory animals. The beagle dogs who breathed fluoride six days a week, just like workers, had stupendous lung damage and damage to their lymph nodes, you'd think that someone would have given that medical information to America's doctors or to the workers who were going to those doctors asking why they had emphysema. No, the study was given to the Fluorine Lawyers Committee and it was buried. The book makes clear for the first time uh, that the selling of fluoride to the American public was done by the, the best in the business, by the father of public relations, Edward Bernays. Uh, Edward Bernays is Sigmund Freud's nephew, and he was a Machiavellian genius, uh, small in size, yet cast a towering shadow over the 20th century. Uh, Bernays understood that there was a liberal sentiment coursing through the 20th century, and that if you could hitch your commercial wagon to, to, to that uh, uh, star, then you could make your clients a lot of money. In 1916, Bernays had suffragettes march in the Easter parade in New York City holding cigarettes as torches of liberty. And uh, he, he, he cooked up that scheme on behalf of the American Tobacco Company and, uh, and, and its director, George Hill, who was paying Bernays' uh, uh, salary. Uh, well, my book, 
and covers correspondence between Bernays and the National Institutes of Dental Research. Uh, Bernays was asked to come to Washington by the NIDR to help create their PR campaign to sell fluoride to the nation. Bernays understood that people have an unconscious trust in their doctor or their dentist. And if you can persuade doctors and dentists that fluoride is safe and good, then you're, you're, you're uh, able to reach the rest of the nation. People believe they're doctors and dentists, and that was a way of promoting fluoride for Bernays. Very few dentists are aware that the fluoride in public water supplies is a pharmaceutical-grade product. It is, in fact, an industrial waste. It's the uh, waste from the Florida phosphate industry. In the 1950s, the Florida phosphate industry was being sued by farmers and citizens living near those plants because the fluoride was killing their cattle, destroying their crops. You know, the Florida phosphate industry today is prevented from having to dispose of its industrial effluent in a toxic waste dump by the device of shipping that in tanker trucks around the country and dumping it in our water supply. Beginning opposition to fluoride has been uh, equated with uh, you know, believing the earth is, is flat or being against the United Nations. Opposition to fluoride is equated with quackery or, or, uh, or paranoia. Uh, and in fact, that's, uh, that's really a media smear. In 1950, the public health endorsed water fluoridation. Almost immediately, there was a national movement against fluoride, and that was led by Dr. George Walbot. We should all know George Walbot's name. Uh, he was the first physician to warn of the dangers of allergic, fatal allergic reactions to penicillin. Now, Walbot warned, one of the first physicians to warn of the dangers of emphysema from smoking. He saw in his own uh, surgery, in his, his practice in Detroit, Michigan, uh, that people were coming in with these uh, ailments, unexplained ailments, whether it was back pain or gastric distress, uh, muscle fatigue, uh, headaches. Uh, and he figured out that it was low-dose fluoride. And as with a lot of drugs or chemicals, there's a small subset of people who are uniquely allergic to the chemical, and Walbot realized that it was fluoride, and he performed uh, a whole series of double-blind experiments uh, where people were given fluoridated water without knowing it, and the symptoms recurred. And very quickly, Walbot's name, rather than being seen as this giant of public health, committed to safeguarding public health, uh, somebody who warned us about penicillin or uh, tobacco, suddenly George Walbot becomes this marginal fringe figure who uh, is, uh, is criticized for his opposition to fluoride, and that's something that takes place again and again and again. Speaking out as a doctor or a dentist against fluoride is, is, is the third rail. Uh, it's, it's fatal to your career. Uh, we don't know George Walbot's name because he was smeared by the Public Health Service for his opposition to fluoride. In the uh, 1990s, the senior toxicologist for the EPA's Office of Water said that the cancer tests that had been done 
uh, on fluoride where laboratory animals were given fluoride. Uh, he said that those results had been gerrymandered, that in fact the equivocal verdict that fluoride was a carcinogen ought to have been much stronger. He said that uh, fluoride given to rats had produced bone cancer and liver cancer, and that those results had been doctored to make it look as though fluoride hadn't caused as much cancer. I've been in the toxicology business looking at studies of this nature for nearly 25 years, and I've never seen that. Never ever seen where every single endpoint that was a cancer endpoint had been downgraded. I'd seen one or two endpoints argued over usually on a definition of what is a cancer in that particular tissue, but I've never seen every one of them downgraded. I found that very suspicious. Marcus was fired. Dr. William Marcus was fired, and a federal judge ruled that Marcus was fired because of his outspoken opposition to fluoride. The first two chapters of the book are, relate the story of Dr. Philip Mullenix at the Forsyth Dental Institute. She uh, had helped invent a new technology for studying the neurotoxicity of chemicals. Uh, it was called the Computer Pattern Recognition System. And uh, in essence, uh, Dr. Mullenix's uh, technology uh, took uh, photographs or video of animals uh, which had been given a chemical in small doses and then used computers to analyze uh, the patterns behavior or the disruptions to patterns behavior when the animals had been given uh, that, that chemical. While Mullenix was brought into the Versailles Dental Research Center to study the, some of the chemicals used in dentistry, and she was asked to study fluoride. And Phyllis Mullenix said, uh, I'm not wasting my time with fluoride. Fluoride's given to children, it's good for children, it's been down, around for donkey's years. Wasting my time by studying fluoride. Uh, but she did as she was ordered. And Phyllis Mullenix found that fluoride in very modest doses produces effects in laboratory animals resembling attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder. The pattern that we saw is typically is what we see with other neurotoxic agents that are well known to cause a hyperactivity or uh, a memory problem or an IQ problem. When I first presented the results of these studies, um, one of the uh, individuals stood in and listened and to the results. He said, do you have any idea what you're saying? And he said, you're telling us that we're reducing the IQ of children. And basically, I said, yes. went from being an industry-funded, leading neurotoxicologist at a Harvard-affiliated research institute to being a voice in the wilderness. She has not received any grants uh, nor any academic position as a research scientist since her opposition to fluoride was made public. Center of Disease Control says that water fluoridation is one of the top 10 public health achievements of the 20th century. How can citizens deal with something like that? Question authority. You know, for years and years and years and years, the public health establishment told us that lead in gasoline was safe. We know today that children's brains 
were damaged, were injured by uh, the addition of lead to gasoline. Uh, you know, the implications of this new documentary evidence, the implications of these very medical studies, which are, which are now in the public domain as a result of my book, as a result of uh, you know, the medical work that's being done by people like Philip Mullenix, uh, the willingness to speak truth of uh, toxicologists like William Marcus, the implications uh, of that research, uh, of these new findings, is that something is terribly, terribly wrong we have been led very far astray, and it's time to change. But that change will only come as a result of uh, bravery, as a result of the willingness to invest time. You know, I, I think it's time to, to speak up, to speak loudly, to get organized, and to fight for change. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Gentlemen, I'm Melody Cedarstrom, and you're listening to Financial Survival. I'm here with my co-host, Alfred Addis, to bring you our opinion and commentary on today's economic and political events for Tuesday, April 21st, 2015. Good day, Al. Hello, Melody. Well, we have gold and silver today. Um, they're moving up a little bit, 12.02.70 for gold, 5 
90 to the upside, 1608 for silver up four cents. Platinum's up two bucks at 1153, along with palladium down two at 774. USDX today is trade deemed stronger, 0.06, Crude oil's down a buck 12 at 55.58. Paper markets today, um, down 84, 17,950. The NASDAQ was up 20 at 5,014. Excuse me. S&P down three at 2,097. 10-year yield, 1.92%. Uh, the euro is trading at 107. Uh, Asian markets were strong overnight, probably following the news of China with their interest rate drop. And um, kind of a unusual day. I think all eyes are back on Greece and uh, certainly... Um, it was it was pretty much of a quiet day out there today, Al. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they're just resting up. It's like the old definition of peace. That's the time when everybody stops to reload. You know, this is like a slow news day. Okay, but wait till tomorrow, Thursday at the latest. There'll be you know, new events. It's just inevitable. We have a few slow days from time to time. You mentioned Greece. Here's a situation with, uh, here's an article from the Associated Press that deals with Greece. And it says, Greek anger over state cash grab from hospital schools. Greek local authorities are on the brink of revolt Tuesday against the central government's move to use cash reserves from state agencies, including hospitals and kindergartners, and kindergartners to help the country make ends meet. In other words, the national government of Greece wants to grab money from the lower governmental entities. They got any spare cash? Government wants it. They don't want to give it up. At an emergency meeting in Athens, angry mayors called for blank refusal to comply, staging protests, or taking the radical left-led government to court over its order to have spare reserves, cash reserves, put in the cent in a central bank account. Not a single municipality should deposit even one euro at the Bank of Greece, said the Ionis Lotus, mayor of a northwestern town in Greece. Uh, citing, and this is, this is where it gets kind of fun, it says citing, quote, citing an, quote, extremely urgent and unforeseen, unquote, need for cash. An emergency government decree Monday rendered uh, funds from state entities such as National Opera, the National Art Gallery, and even hospitals and kindergartens available for short-term loans to the national government. Now that is expected to raise, these loans are expected to raise about $2.7 billion. Okay? First, they are citing an extremely urgent and unforeseen need for cash. Unforeseen, they've been at it. This has been going on since 2009. We have been dealing with the perils of Greece. And it's, oh, my gosh, I had no idea that we are going to run out of cash. Are you crazy? I mean, you know, how could anyone be so stupid that they couldn't understand that Greece was about to run out of cash? Unforeseen, unforeseen, my buns, all right? 
They knew this was coming. It was inevitable. We know it's coming. Everybody knows it's coming. And like we said yesterday, why don't they just do it and get over with? Get it over with. Default on the debt and move on. You know, let's do that. Um, and they want to. They want this money made available from the lower, the national government wants the money from lower government entities. They want it made available for short-term loans to the state. So you take your extra money that you have at the state, municipal level, local level, school districts, whatever, and if you've got an extra cash, you're going to lend it to the Greek national government, and, of course, they'll pay you back. They, they, they want to borrow basically another $3 billion dollars from lower governmental entities, and they can't even they can't pay the existing three hundred billion dollars in debt. What makes anyone think they're going to pay another three billion dollars in debt? Just to, you know, and so of course the local governments are rioting. So what this means is the national government is in debt for over three hundred billion, which they can't possibly pay, and they want to borrow another three billion, less than one percent of their current debt from other Greek governmental entities. The Greek governmental entities are predictably furious about the proposed loans because they have to know that if the Greek national government can't repay the three hundred billion it already owes, it's not likely to repay another three hundred billion borrowed from government and uh, agencies and municipalities. Now but the most important point here is that the Greek national government must have been able to foresee that the lower Greek governmental entities, agencies, municipalities, school districts, whatever, would be infuriated by plans to confiscate their spare reserves. Nevertheless, the Greek national government, at a time when maintaining national unity against foreign predators would seem crucial, has chosen to cause huge political divisions between itself and the lower Greek, Greek governmental agencies and entities and so on. This choice of, that causes political division, it makes no sense unless the Greek national government is extraordinarily dumb or extraordinarily desperate. And I'm betting on desperate. They are just at the end, they are at the end of the tether, and that's the implication here. The article continues, another paragraph, what have I got left, one more sentence out of the article. The move, unprecedented in recent Greek history, is the latest sign that the country is running perilously short of cash and then an impasse in bailout talks with its international creditors. That's true. The national Greek government must be just about penniless. Uh, if it's reduced to trying to steal less than 1% of what it currently owes to foreign creditors, from local Greek governmental entities. Greece is grasping at straws. It is a drowning man. It looks to me as if Greece will either, one, bend to the will of its creditors and agree to subject the Greek people to austerity and try to pay off the $300 billion it owes. They'll either bend to the will of their creditors or refuse, and they can't pay the debt. They've admitted they can't pay it. The, the alternative is you bend to the will of the creditors or to flat-out break, just snap like a dry twig, perhaps even before the end of this month. The Greek national government is robbing its own governmental entities to try to avoid the inevitable bankruptcy for another few weeks or months. We can expect that when it's the U.S. government's turn to admit it's bankrupt, it will also 
try to rob even this lower state and the local governments to make ends meet to survive for a few more months. So there's a lesson here in Greece. It's a tragedy for Greece. I, I assume that's what it is. It's being portrayed that way, and it'll probably work out that way. But it's going to be a tragedy. We, we, you know, we can sit back and oh, poor Greece. Hey, hey, hey. Ask not for whom the bell tolls. The bell tolls for thee. The problems we're seeing in Greece right now, and we can clock and say, oh, oh, how could they be so stupid? The problems we have in this country are bigger proportionally than what they have in Greece. Greece is in debt. Greece national government is in debt for $300 billion. Our government is debt, or they admit being in debt for $18 trillion. And the real national debt is probably somewhere between $100 and $200 trillion, which is not officially admitted except by the Congressional Budget Office. They've admitted that, but the executive branch otherwise has not. We're in a worse predicament than Greece, although we are not, that predicament is not facing us as immediately as the one that's facing Greece. We're not that far behind. Well, we might be able to string it together for a couple, hold it together for a couple more years, but maybe not. Maybe we can hold it together until next fall. Well, who knows? Maybe we can hold it for three, four years. I don't. Nobody knows. But we are closer and closer and closer to the moment when, like Greece, we're going to have to admit we can't pay the bills. And when that moment arrives, that's when the trouble really begins. What else, Melody? Well, they did have uh, their their rates increased yesterday, so their costs just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, on their rates. But, you know, as we had talked before, who's going to take that bet? Yeah, you know, on the bonds. On the bonds, on their bonds, yeah. Yeah, their bonds are paying like 27% or something like that. So the banking sector in Athens, they're, they're, they're on the verge of a collapse. So. Yeah. so the whole thing is just, uh, and we're in this, again, I'm going to, you know, standard, standard conclusion for me at least. The summer all of this problem in Greece can be traced to the use of fiat currency. Fiat currency. You know, the government likes fiat currency because they can spin it out of thin air. And they can, if they need to increase the money supply, they can do that by just fire up the printing presses and print off a few trillion more uh, paper dollars. And in theory, that's enough to stimulate the economy. And it must have been... And for much of, I don't know, for a couple hundred years, that was probably a great objective, an almost unimaginable goal for economists and government and people in government who wanted to control the economy and nations and so on. If we could just get away from this gold and silver and get a fiat currency, then we can spend as much as we want whenever we need it. The problem with gold and silver is that you can't just spin it out of thin air. If we get into an economic circumstance that's tough and somebody says, holy cow, we're, we're going into a recession or a depression, we need to spin some money, add money to the money supply in order to stimulate the economy. Well, if you have, an, if you have a monetary system that's based on gold and silver, you can't just pull that money out of thin air. If you need more gold or silver, somebody's got to go 
dig a hole in the ground, drive a tunnel, and start hauling the gold out of the bowels, the bowels of the earth. It requires work and effort and sacrifice, and people can even die. But fiat currency, all you got to do is sign your name to a piece of paper, authorize, knock down a few hundred thousand more trees, get some ink, dress it up, send it out, let the yokels think they have money. They'll go out and spend it. Government wanted that fiat currency because it would give them an ability to control the economy that was not available with gold and silver coin. With gold and silver, you couldn't control. You had to be responsible. But with fiat, paper, digital currencies, government can disperse that wherever it wants. It can give it to half a dozen banks on Wall Street if that's what it wants to do. Or it can subsidize particular industries or corporations or political movements. It gives government enormous control, enormous power to be able to use a fiat currency rather than gold and silver, and that's why they want it. But now we are reaching a point where this is apparently blowing up in their faces. Government is no longer able to manipulate the economy to the same extent it has in the past. They raise or lower interest rates, excuse me, and that should stimulate the economy, but it does not. Now what? They've increased the money supply by giving $3 trillion to half a dozen, five or six uh, Wall Street banks. And what positive effect has it had on the economy? And the answer is not a whole lot. There may be some positive effect, but it's not a whole lot. All right? And the implication is government simply are running out of control mechanisms. They only have two devices to control the economy at the Federal Reserve, and one is interest rates, and the other one's money supply, and neither one of them is being used in a way that can stimulate the economy right now. We uh, don't remember if we talked about this already in the first segment of the program or we talked about it in the earlier program. I know we did in the earlier program. I don't think we've talked about this just yet. But if we have, just stop me and I'll move on to something else. But the problem the government has, why is it that Janet Yellen and the almighty Federal Reserve can't re-stimulate the economy? Why isn't the fiat currency working? Why aren't the zero interest rates or near zero interest rates working to stimulate the economy? And I think the reason is because the government is lying. The government comes out and tells us we have five point something percent unemployment in this country. But John Williams says no, it's actually about twenty three percent. And again, if Williams is right, I'm inclined to believe him. If Williams is right, we have unemployment rates that suggest we are already in a great depression. Right? This is may be the reason why the Fed's interest rate jockeying doesn't work and their money supply jockeying doesn't work. If a quarter of the people don't have jobs, how are you what difference does it make if you throw an extra three trillion of the banks or reduce interest rates to near zero? It's not enough to overcome a fundamental hallmark of depression and that is we're already so deeply unemployed that we're not going to get out of this thing until something extraordinary takes place. You're not going to get your way out. They're not going to escape this problem by fine-tuning the interest rate. And maybe we'll raise it in, in June or maybe September. The problem is too big to 
to be resolved by the usual mechanisms available to the Federal Reserve. That's a possible explanation. I won't tell you that's God's truth, but that's what it appears to be. And there's a high there's a high probability, certainly a possibility, high probability. What's the problem? The government won't admit the real unemployment rate. You know, a lot of our problems here make perfect sense once you start to consider the unemployment rate might be over 20 percent. Then all of a sudden, no, oh, it's not a mystery. There's no confusion here. Good. But as long as we say, oh, our unemployment rate is only 5%, things are fine. Well, if that's not true, if that's a lie, but we operate and try to tune the economy based on the presumption that it's true, and it's just not going to work. We're going to have problems that we will not be able to resolve until somebody faces the truth. And when is that likely to happen with this government? I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival. We will be back in a couple of minutes. Please stay tuned. get older, they are subject to hormone imbalance. And when this happens, men can experience osteoporosis, memory loss, irritability, blood sugar imbalance, weight gain, enlarged prostate, erectile dysfunction, and risk of stroke. The human endocrine system manufactures hormones. Why not feed your system plant nutrition to make the hormones that are right for you? For centuries, these herbs have been used to balance the male hormone system. Men, you've waited long enough for the male hormone formula. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663 for the male hormone formula. 866-229-3663 or online at thepowerherbs.com. 866-229-3663 where your health care options just became endless. Food prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe, all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Does the cost and risk of conventional health care concern you? Wouldn't you prefer inexpensive solutions to health problems rather than disease management? 
If so, tune into Herb Talk Live with herbalist Wendy Wilson every Tuesday and Thursday evening, 7 p.m. on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, where your healthcare options just became endless. Survival with Melody Cedarstrom, and the program is brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver. What's next, Melody? Well, we have a caller. We have Jim in West Virginia. Jim? Oh, I just Hi, thought Jim. she said it was a slow news day, so I thought liven things up a little bit. <laughs> hey, Jim, Jim, before yeah. you go on, could you please Say call again? me? After, could you please call me after the program? Yes, ma'am. All righty, thank you. Okay, yes, so we uh, I'm having a hard time hearing you guys. I'm not having trouble hearing you. I don't know what I can tell you. Well, my own voice in my ear is blowing my brains out, but I can't barely hear you. The overall standard of living is a function of the efficiency of an economy. You poking holes in the ground with a stick to plant seeds, not so efficient. Using tillers and such as that, much more efficient. Tractors, much more efficient. What can I say? Businesses have done everything they could to increase their efficiency. And there's so many advantages. Now, I pretty much had to have a mobile phone, oh, way back in the 80s, doing instrumentation to work. Had to have communication. My first one cost $3,500 at a seven-foot antenna. Now the dang near giveaway cell phones and the coverage is great. I'll mention some communication. It used to be the uh, two-way radio systems. Only a few businesses had those. And then, but all I'm saying is that there are so many things which we have advantages of in this country. We have good roads. We have a communication system on the internet, making it efficient. So, businesses have taken care of just about everything they can take care of to increase their efficiency. Now, the monetary policy. Y'all talk about all that all the time. So. Let's just say that the audience surely knows about it unless they're a first-time listener. But the only thing we need to do to stimulate this economy is to take the brakes off. We put the pedal to the floor with everything, with technology, with availability of credit, quantitative easing, all kinds of stimulus, all kinds of stuff. But the only thing we have to do is take the brakes off. Insofar as businesses rules and regulations, okay, whenever you increase businesses rule business rules, regulation or taxation, all you do is you decrease the availability of goods, increase the price of goods. You increase the uh, press wages with business taxes. You also increase unemployment and you drive businesses out of business or out of taxing jurisdiction. Does that sound like a blueprint of what's happened to America? You dang right it is because they have sat there and bled businesses to death. Now, here's the interesting part. If you have, let's say you have a plant in a small town, uh, $10 million of sales every year, and let's say the people who own the plant was the stock or individuals or corporation, whatever, let's say they make a million. If the tax man cometh and takes that million, 
destroyed nine times that in revenue. So tax takes from businesses have a multiplier effect. And the blankety-blanks who put all this into place know this. Mm -hmm. What they're doing is just putting more and more and more of a load on the engine driving the truck. More and more load on the truck. And isn't producing goods or services that people want to buy. Now, there is a solution for this. It's going to take a lot of political will. But we saw it with the Bureau of Land Management about a year or so ago. You have to get the government intervention out. Now, anytime you mess with the, well, there are four basic cornerstones of an economy mining, agriculture, manufacturing, and trade. Anytime you impede any of those, you're going to decrease the quality of life. So they have done every little trick they can think of. Independent businessmen and corporations, everybody else has done everything they knew how to make things run more efficiently. The only thing now is take the brakes off now, county by county, this can start happening. But business, in order to survive, that means your job, everybody's job, is going to have to be set free of the artificial burdens which have been placed on it by our government. All these taxes, rules, regulations, etc. it's EPA, OSHA, MSHA, Department of Agriculture, I could go on on DEA, all of these have impeded manufacturing or mining or agriculture or trade. And like, for instance, there's a fellow I knew who had a music store many years ago, 70s, he said, we can't trade even if you have a $100 guitar and bring it here, want a $100 guitar, he says, I can't trade even. I got overhead and I got taxes. So every bit of our economy has been throttled. Now, you'll hear governments say, oh, we have an economic development plan. Oh, yes. That's economic development for the government, not businesses. Mm -hmm. So the simple truth of the matter is that the biggest expense of doing business in America is not so much the wages as is the taxation. Now, you can chisel this one in stone. It's never, it's an economic law which has never been broken. All taxes accumulate in the price of the final product. Yep. If you buy a General Motors car, you're buying the advertising for that car. You're buying the dealer space for that car. You're buying the taxes, employers and employees, uh, Social Security on every employee. And anything to do with getting that car to you. When you get an American-made car, about a third of its car, two-thirds of it is stuff. You're buying two-thirds of its taxes. you got to think about this. That means the taxes. Every time you spend a dollar, two-thirds of it roughly goes for taxes. That means every cost, everything costs about three times the real cost of production of the goods or services. That means the taxation on all levels. You know, your tax freedom day, April, bull, oh, that just fits. Diane, all the others, and it's more like uh, uh, two-thirds of the way through the year. We're talking Just August. in time for Christmas shopping. Exactly. So the bottom line is very simple. That means the taxation costs more than food, clothing, shelters, utilities, insurance, education, even entertainment. Now, that is what has dragged America down, and the only way we'll ever get this economy going down is if we take all those brakes off, if we take all those little strings holding businesses down. But here's now, the problem with this. Let me, let, me, let me read something to you. They've yeah. got an article from Japan Times. 
And the headline is Robots Leave Chinese Factory Workers Behind. And what, they, what they're talking about is China's having some problems. And it goes on and says, according to the International Federation of Robotics, China bought approximately 56,000 of the 227,000 industrial robots purchased worldwide in 2014, a 54% increase since, since 2013. Now, here is what's dangerous. So they go on and they, they, they have a subsidy program from the Guangdong province where they intend to subsidize the purchase of robots, according to this article, at nearly 2,000. We're not talking about a handful. We're talking about 2,000 of the provinces and thus the world's largest manufacturers. Uh, the, the, they expect to have 80% of its factories automated by 2020. Now, here is the extraordinary implication. Well, businesses are becoming more efficient. I get that. All right? And if we take the brakes off, fine, that's a good idea. But what are we going to do about the people who ultimately don't have jobs because they've been replaced by robots? Because there's a lot of people that aren't capable of being rocket scientists and doctors. The only thing they're able to do is a kind of physical labor. And if they can't, if they are replaced by robots, how are we going to feed them? How are they going to feed themselves? What's going to happen? And the great implication, China bought approximately 56,000 about 25% of the 227,000 industrial robots purchased worldwide in 2014. That means robots are cheaper than Chinese labor. And if robots are cheaper than Chinese labor, I guarantee they're cheaper than American labor. So while we're taking all the brakes off and the rest of this sort of thing, how are we going to divide, you know, the profits, whatever? What are we going to do about the 30 you know, right now there's – John Williams says the unemployment rate may be 23% right now. If we keep bringing robots into this country, and I'm not against them. I'm not, I'm not you know, I, I, I'm not against them per se, but I'm still saying, look, we're not going to see the unemployment rate drop back down anytime soon as long as robots continually take jobs, not just in this country, but around the world. Let me give you some historical perspective on this. Okay, automation has always put people out of work. Example, coal mining. You used to shoot from the face. A fellow would sit there and take a piece of steel, a chisel-like thing, a star drill, and hammer a hole in the coal. Mm. You put charges into that, and then they light the fuse and run like you know what. Okay, when that was replaced by continuous miners, that put a lot of workers out of business. They had to find something else to do. And when it came to long wall mining, all of a sudden that was much more efficient, put more people out of work. This is a resource allocation issue. When people can Yeah, but here's my point. But, but, but still, I get that it's a resource allocation. And normal, you squeeze the balloon at one end, it bulges someplace else. But we have a people in this country who don't have sufficient education or intelligence to do anything but some, something like manual labor. And those robots are going to take those manual labor jobs. I've and those people, what you. are we going to do with them? Where are we going to reallocate these people? I've got another one for you for historical perspective. Okay, what if people cost less to employ because of the ta- whole overall taxation issue? That would put a lot of robotics out of the system. 
I spent most of my adult life working on electronics, industrial instrumentation, sensory control, and all kinds of different outfits in four states. And that included work AI software and robotics, automation. You name it, I did it. If it was weird, I worked on it. Now, here's the point. Every time they put somebody else out of work, that opened up a job someplace else now, insofar as education. That is not necessarily the answer, and I'll tell you why. If you have, okay, a sweeping state decision wiped out my ability to get liability insurance to run my business, even if I left the state, as long as I owned real estate in the state, I couldn't get liability insurance to operate my business. That was in 2002. I lived off my savings for 11 years. Because if you had the right combination of education, which I got, and age, you're either overqualified or over the hill. I could not find a job. In the, I mean, I even applied for, for me minimum wage jobs. Uh-uh. So education is not the issue. If you had a degree in nuclear physics, you would not find a job in West Virginia. There aren't any nuclear plants here or any nuclear activity that I know of. So education is part of it, but the main thing is free up the economy. So all a fellow has to do to fire up a business is get whatever he needs for the business and go with it, which is pretty much what it was when I got into business. Only thing I had to do was have a state business license. Whoop-de-doo. But now it is insane. You have all these things that destroy efficiency and destroy the labor market. You have people put in prison over marijuana. And that wipes them out, puts them into the prison population. So the problem is we have too much government interference at all levels in every area of business activity. As I said, the four cornerstones, agriculture, mining, manufacturing, and the trade. And that's the only way we're going to get out of this. And it will happen, and I'm going to tell you why. Because as the Federal Reserve note goes to pieces, and now listen, inflation, deflation are manipulated right now, but the market will win out if there are that many pieces of currency out there we will eventually have hyperinflation. Now, when and how, I don't know. But I will mention this much, is that there is no way that any government has survived the collapse of its currency. When the Federal Reserve note goes down, how do you run a government? Now, people who have skills and abilities, what have you, will be able to survive. But well, I, don't, I don't think we have too much need for all these regulators, as you say, to regulate the width the toilet paper rolls. I agree. But how, so. here's another question for you. You know, one of the things that happened when we shipped jobs over to China and third world countries over the course of the last 15 years or so, 20 years, well, how did we compensate where it didn't show up with high unemployment rates here in this country? And the compensation was they were hired by government agencies. Exactly. We had a big jump in the number of government employees, particularly at the state level. All right? So if we're now, okay, let's get rid of government. Uh, now we're going to reallocate those government workers to where? <laughs> I mean, we got a problem here. The private sector can absorb it if the private sector is allowed to breathe. But here's, here's the situation. This is how bad the deceit goes. Classic economics refers to the gross national product or the outputs of goods and services out of the private sector. And government doesn't produce goods or services necessarily that people want to buy, but for whatever reasons. Then they switch it to GDP, gross domestic product. Now, if you increase government spending, that actually is at the expense of the private economy. Always is, because where else do you get monies from those who are the producers in the society? 
So, yeah, we've been told, oh, the economy's better. Oh, look at the GDP. Oh, we had that much growth. No, we had that much growth in government. But the simple truth of the matter is we're running out of resources. If you give people enough land and enough resources, they will find a way of making a living. Now, classically, going back at least 2,000-plus years, government would start out small after revolution. But because men sin in the streets and in their homes, the government would tend to grow until it got bigger and bigger and bigger, and it was overthrown. The protectors became predators, and there were parasites, and they would shift more and more people from private sector, whether it's agriculture, trade, or whatever, into the public sector, working for the government, usually military police, that sort of thing, going all the way back in Western civilization to ancient Greece. But, but, but rather than sitting there and going, okay, we ought to transfer so many people in government back into the private sector, they've never done that. Yeah, now, what we have right now is we have a bunch of banksters who are controlling almost all the governments of the world, they are a cancer. Hmm? Excuse me, got 30 seconds. They are a cancer, and they want to destroy us. I'll let it go at that. Thank you again. Oh, I understand. It's the government. You Don't know, forget to thank me, Jim. It's, right. it's one of the things that you can see in the Constitution. It was that the Constitution was designed to protect us from the government. They understood government is the principal enemy of the people. That's true in every country in the world. They tried to yep. protect us. You've ignored the Constitution, and now we are going to pay big time. We're going to take a break for some commercial announcements. I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. obligations or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out when life is too much to handle use apothecary herbs emotional stress formula feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee you've waited long enough call apothecary herbs now toll free 866-229-3663 that's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3w.thepowerherbs.com. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. 
For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Somebody's getting paid. 
right? And that money is all staying within the United States. It stimulates the economy. It avoids uh, – and I don't mean that this is a perfect solution or anything else. I'm just saying that as long as we have to compete with cheap Chinese labor or cheap labor from Vietnam or from wherever, as long as they can trade here on a level playing field and they can just bring their products in here, American labor rates have to fall. Unemployment has to rise. And if you don't want the wages to fall and you don't want unemployment to rise, you've got to restore tariffs and restrict the import of foreign products. And even though it winds up making higher products, we make higher profits, we have standards of living, higher standards of living, and whatever efficiencies we can generate, we can now sell our products to foreign countries if we work on our efficiency. And we could do that, I think. But we can't just assume that the private sector can absorb and reallocate workers when the entire workforce it's not just the people within the United States, but in fact, it's the people within China and, you know, Vietnam and wherever. Um, and I don't know that there is a good solution to these problems. And I don't offer, you know, my suggestions aren't aren't based on the idea, oh, this will definitely solve the problem. We've got problems I'm not absolutely convinced can be solved, but to my mind, you know, one, you've got to restrict that foreign labor from its impact in this country. And they say, oh, no, we need global free trade. Well, that's great for China. China has increased 7%, 8 9% a year, supposedly. Why? Because we knocked down our tariff barriers and let China sell into our markets. But at the same time, we've gone down while they've gone up. Our, country, our government has sacrificed the American dream. It's sacrificed the American people. That we need to support China. I don't have anything against China, but I don't have anything for it either. China is not my problem. I don't regard it as my problem. I'm not here to make sure that China lives happily ever after, you know, assuming that's even possible. Our government has been saying, oh, no, we know, we'll sacrifice the American people, we'll dump the American name, and we'll take care of China. But it, And it's true. I mean, I agree. We, we do have to have tariffs and so forth. I get that. But, I mean, the higher prices, people... They can't even absorb higher prices. They Therefore, can if they they're have not higher wages. Okay. The whole idea is they can have higher wages. They're not going to be able to absorb any prices. Right now, you've got 23%, if John Williams is right, you've got 23% unemployed. That, Come I, back to work. I, and I'm not stuff. arguing with you. I, I, I'm not arguing with you. I agree with you. I think that is part of the solution. But I think there's a lot that has to be done before we even get there. I mean, there's, I mean the house has to be cleaned. And when you talk about, I told you I had something, Google, their lobbying, their spending reached a new high in early 2015. 5.5 million Google spent in the first three months of 2015. It's the most since the company began lobbying in 2007, and this is according to the government database. It's ranking for this quarter's spending could not be immediately determined. So wow, that could even be higher than that. But okay, I'm surprised that's all it is. Well, this is just the first quarter. A push to allow skilled immigrants to more easily stay in the United States. Net neutrality, tax reform, and broadband deployment. This is what they want. This is what they're spending in order to get this. This is what's going, and this is the biggest. Uh, on 2014, they spent $16.8 million, and that was behind the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. They spent $124 million. The National Association of Realtors, they spent $55 million. 
What are Wall Street spend? Oh, they're not going to list <laughs> that. About $3 trillion, which is what Probably. they spent in the first place. Well, they, they don't consider Wall Street lobbying, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> they're, 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 they're bed partners. So. Um, so, I mean, when you have this going on, and, you know, Google's their big spending in Washington, you know, they, they want Washington, they want Congress to help them defend their antitrust case that the European Union is bringing against them. So they're paying the Washington all this money. Hey, can you help me with my legal defense? Yeah, it's just so you know. This is how we we need the clean house. Or well, all the all the all the, everything clean, else is it's just in our own minds. We need to get up to speed on this stuff. We need to learn. We need to study. I don't and know. Unfortunately, so, so far behind the curve right now in so many different regards that it's going to take something like, I mean, it really will take something like a miracle, and maybe it will take a miracle to save us from our current circumstances. This is not, there's no easy solution in sight. But we got into this this trouble, took us 20 years or more to get into it. It's going to take years to get out also, but just because it takes years doesn't mean we can't start working now. Part of the deal is we've got to have a system of values that we all agree on. We said, okay, what are we here for? Are we here to save the world? I am not. That's not my job. Right? I'm not here to save the world. Are we here to save the country? I'd say, yeah. I'd go along with that. We have people in positions of power that say, no, we've got to save the world. We've got to create a new world order. We've got to have global free trade. What's that got to do with the people of the United States of America? How do we benefit from that? I don't think we do. I think we pay a terrible price. We lose everything we ever worked for in this country while we are trying to establish some sort of kumbaya, global, whatever, democracy, new world order, whatever you want to call it, fascist system, I don't care. But somewhere along the way, we have to agree. What are we going to do? Let's take care of this country. Let's not worry about whether or not people are employed or they're not employed in Mexico. And let's not worry about Canada and England and Israel and the rest of these places. Let's sit back and take care of this country first and foremost. And if push comes to shove, take care of America. And anyone who gets in the way of that trials for treason. You don't want to take care of this country? You want to sacrifice this country? They, you know, we have people in government working for the New World Order. There is no proviso in our Constitution for these people to betray the trust of this nation in order to create a North American Union that includes Canada and Mexico. What they're doing is unconstitutional. It is treasonous, and it's been done. George W. Bush was into it up to his ears. He was encouraging Mexicans, openly encouraging uh, Mexicans to invade, come into this country as illegal aliens. Barack Obama has been doing the same thing. Clinton, I don't know how deep he was, and it wasn't quite as obvious, but that was earlier. No, he just sold things to the Chinese. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. This is how China, China, how the Chinese are where they are today. And the government, I mean, yeah. the government will come down and tell us, oh, we need to get behind and back the government and back all this stuff. Now,
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.